Good morning, folks. Um, happy Wednesday. I hope you're having a, a good day and a good morning. I'm, um, I'm okay. I'm a little bit rocked today and, and for part of yesterday. Um, and I'm not sure how to start this, but there are some things that we need to, to talk about, and we need to talk about them in a sort of a serious way. Yesterday, my roommate came home from work a couple hours early. And so I asked him what, what was up. Hey, you're home early. What's up? Something you all good? Everything okay with your kid? You know, making sure. And he told me why he was sent home early. Everyone in his workplace was because one of their coworkers killed themselves yesterday. Killed himself yesterday. Took his own life. Shuffled off this mortal coil by his own volition before his time was up. And the day before... On Monday, he had told me about, about something that had happened with this guy, that he'd been acting a little bit erratic, and then he got into a, a, a heated argument with their boss and was escorted out of the workplace by security. Over the course of yesterday, my friend and roommate who, was, who, who came home was trying desperately to explore and discover and determine what the fuck happened why the fuck this crazy thing happened because he knew this guy for over a year and the guy seemed stable and seemed okay and then suddenly he wasn't and he found out a few things my roommate found out a few things about him one of those things was the day before the day of the altercation when he was escorted out of work he was switched on medication from one medication to another by his doctor and then not observed He found out that for weeks and months before that event, the person in question had been going to rehab for addiction to prescription opioids, most of which he had been stealing from his aging mother, the one part of his family that he had left. I've been addicted to opioids before. I was addicted to tramadol, and I was addicted to um, um, codeine, which I extracted from uh, uh, Tylenol codeine. Um, and and uh, uh, the tramadol I purchased illegally via darknet markets, the codeine I stole from, I was staying uh, uh, for a couple of weeks over a break. I was staying at a friend's house and they had a bottle of it just sitting in their, in their guest medicine cabinet and I stole a bunch of them. And I took them. And I did the whole, the whole cold water process to get all the Tylenol out of there and, and get those fucking delicious tasty dopamines. I know what an opiate addiction feels like, and it's rampant, and I know what switching a drug can do to you, and it deserves better treatment than this guy received. But there are some fundamental problems that are bigger than that. Let me give this a minute to heat up. Yesterday, the day after the altercation at the workplace, after being kicked out of what I infer was the only thing that was keeping this guy going besides his mom early early in the morning apparently around 4 30 a.m he and his mother were driving he was driving his 80 year old mother to the hospital we don't know why might have been to, for her treatment might have been for his might have been that he or she recognized that there was something going on and that he needed to see a doctor regardless on the freeway there without warning 
He stopped the car with his mother in it, said, fuck this, got out of the car and leapt into oncoming traffic, killing himself, making his mother watch his own death, and putting the blood, his blood, on someone innocent's hands as he leapt into traffic. All because, well, I can't, I can't assume his reasons, but I will do so anyway because I can't speak to him anymore and I can't ask him anymore. All because this world, this being, was not good. Fuck this, I'm out. It's not worth trying anymore. And there are a few pieces and places where we can put some blame here. And I want to go through them because I think it's really important. The first is, his doctor killed him. Directly. He switched his medication. I don't know what medication was switched, but I'd love to know. I'd really like to find out. Because I know from experience and from research that when you switch somebody, especially somebody with a history of drug abuse, from one drug to another, the chances of them going psychotic, literally losing their minds over the next 24 to 48 hours, are not zero. And so it is, it is a flippant and foolish doctor who prescribes a potentially mind-altering medication or alters a dose of a potentially mind-altering medication without properly supervising the patient who is under his care. That doctor is a killer. A murderer, I would say. Maybe manslaughter, but it is murder in my eyes. That is unacceptable. And it is not an isolated incident. It's the kind of thing that happens every fucking day in this country and around the world. Not because we don't have the technology or the knowledge or the, the scientific understanding or the medical prowess, but because our medical system is deeply corrupt. The second place that blame can be laid is the pharmaceutical industry as a whole. First of all, most people don't need any of the medications that they're on. Second, most doctors are trained as pharma reps to sell medications more than they are trained to help people. And are more likely to switch you from one medication to two, one potentially dangerous medication to two potentially dangerous medications, than they are to try to help you reach some level of health. Because if you're healthy, you don't come back to the doctor. This sounds like some conspiracy theory thing, but it's really quite simple. It's just like the fact, indisputable, that insurance companies do not have your best interest at heart. If you buy health insurance, the purpose and goal of the insurance company is to not pay you, is to not help you, is to have you never go in for treatment, because then they just get to take your monthly, monthly income, or better yet, take the monthly tax break income that they get from the federal government in the United States, because our healthcare is privatized, and then semi-half publicized via taxes, because Truly privatizing healthcare, a fundamental human necessity, doesn't fucking work. And privatizing healthcare leads to greed in our healthcare system, a system that is meant to be purely altruistic, is instead infested with greed and sin. And I use sin in the Greek terminology, in, in the original way. It misses the mark. There is a mark. The mark is a healthy society where people are given healthcare, proper healthcare. Not thrown drugs that might kill them. 
And our society, our healthcare system, misses the mark. And that is the fault, fundamentally, I believe, of our greedy pharmaceutical corporations. And they are killing our people, our children, our fathers, our brothers, our mothers, our sisters, and our friends, and our neighbors. They are killing us. This, is, does it, this isn't blame on the individual doctors, or even really blame on the system of medical care. But it is blame on health insurance, and it is blame on pharma companies. You know, it's a, it's a simple thing that's relatively well known. But did you know that almost no other developed nation in the world besides the United States allows direct to, pers to individual advertisement of drugs, of, of substances, for pharma pharmaceutical or otherwise? Or specifically pharmaceuticals, prescription medications. No other, no other nation allows that shit. We do. Why? Because it's profitable. Deeply, deeply profitable. It's fucked. But there's a... There's another person to blame in this circumstance. And a specific person to blame. And I know his name and I'm not going to say it. I doubt that anybody who sees this will see him or anything like that, but it's not worth it. This will get resolved in its own time, in its own way, by the people who are directly responsible and directly in involved. But my, my roommate and the now-dead man's boss, after the altercation that the two of them had, that he took part in, and was unable to resolve successfully, and therefore resolved by kicking the man out of his workplace, which is within his rights as a as an employer or or a higher management. It's within his rights to to fire the guy or kick him out or even have him escorted out by security. But the thing he did next was evil, and I mean truly evil. And I I don't know this man's mind, but I imagine one of two things has been going through it for the last day. One might be, this isn't my fault. And the other might be, this was my fault, because it was. He told everyone else in the workplace, as far as I can tell, the only people that the now-dead man interacted with, he told everyone to avoid him, treated him because of his erratic behavior like he was a safety risk, like he was a potential public shooter. He didn't report this to the police. He didn't report this to medical professionals. He didn't report this to the family. He didn't talk about it to anyone else. He just treated him like he was dangerous, like an outcast, like someone who should not be talked to or spoken to. He explicitly told everyone else in the workplace, do not contact him. Do not respond if he contacts you. And so he cut a person who desperately, more than anything, needed help and care and someone to notice that he was not acting normal. Cut him off from any safety unit, any any. Any people could have possibly helped him. And so he killed him too. Because if somebody had noticed or told anyone in authority, there's a chance that they might have gone and observed him and seen, hey, this guy's acting erratic. He's currently in rehab from, from drug abuse. And he's just switched his meds. Perhaps we should put him 
in a place where he can't hurt himself for 24 hours and let this blow over and figure out what what we can do with his brain chemistry to make him alive and safe a little bit. But there was no one to reach out to him because nobody would because everyone was afraid. And isn't that, isn't that poignant? In a world where there were four school shootings a couple days ago, or public shootings a couple days ago, and there will be more today, and there will be more tomorrow, and there were more the day before, before yesterday, and there will be more the day after that. In a world like that, we treat anyone who's acting erratic like they are already a murderer, like they are already dangerous, like they are irredeemable just for feeling like they don't belong in society. Before they've ideated any violence, before they've made any, any moves in a, an evil direction, we treat like, them like they're already evil. What do people do when you treat them like they're already evil? They act to prove you right, most often. Well, if you're going to treat me like I'm an asshole and a thief and a murderer, I might as well be one. It's a sentiment that comes up more frequently than you might imagine, I think. We don't communicate with the people who are being swept aside, with the be be people who are being pushed out to the edges of our society. We cut them off. The black pills, the incels, the people who are extreme in any direction, who, who believe that society isn't functioning in either direction or any, any, any way. Well, they isolate themselves. And then everyone else isolates themselves from them. Just like Rudius in Mushoku Tensei. Precisely like him. And so what do those people come to the conclusion of? Well, they come to the conclusion that being is not good. And if they come to that, that conclusion deeply enough, it's pretty easy to say, well, being is not good and it's nothing but suffering out here. So why should I remain? Why should I stay on this hell on earth? This God-forsaken place, this place with no unity, this place where I am not a part of things, this place where I've been cast out, this place where I watch the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, this place where countries are invading each other and murdering by the thousands for reasons that make no sense to me, this place where I don't even know what's going on in the world anymore because I don't know what to trust, this place where everyone seems to be fake. But everyone seems to be happy, except me. So there must be something wrong with me. Or maybe there's something wrong with being inherently. And if you believe that there's something wrong with being inherently, then why be? And hey, why should anyone else around you be? Their smug, smiling faces. Why shouldn't those be wiped off of our earth too? So maybe, maybe to prove my point... To prove the point that being is not good. Maybe purchasing a weapon and removing as many people from this world as possible in a violent and dramatic act, an explosion of chaos, just to show how much I hate all of you. And how much you don't even know what is true. You're all smiling, happy in the face of the general despair in this world. And that's a problem with you, not a problem with me. So I'm going to take you out. You know, you can go and read the Columbine documents. 
You can do it on a columbinesite.com. And when you do, you can get pretty close to the minds of the people who do these things. They're not fools. They think they've figured it all out. They think they understand the world well enough to choose for themselves and for everyone around them that being in this world is not good. Well, all you people out there can just kiss my ass and die. From now on, I don't give a fuck what almost any of you motherfuckers have to say, unless I respect you, which is highly unlikely. But for those of you who happen to know me and know that I respect you, may peace be with you and don't be in my line of fire. For the rest of you, you all better fucking hide in your houses because I'm coming for everyone soon and I will be armed to the fucking teeth and I will shoot to kill and I will fucking kill everything. No, I am not crazy. Crazy is just a word. To me, it has no meaning. Everyone is different, but most of you fuckheads out there in society going to your everyday fucking jobs and doing your everyday routine shitty things, I say fuck you and die. If you got a problem with my thoughts, come and tell me and I'll kill you because god damn it, dead people don't argue. God damn it, I am pissed. Eric Harris wrote that before he shot a bunch of people, a bunch of children at Columbine. None of you get it. I don't have respect for any of you. Or for myself, for that matter. It's all empty, right? It's all empty. There's nothing to it. I've got a theory about the world, about consciousness, about people, and it is it's a pretty well-validated theory, I think. It's not mine. It's, it's a psychological theory that's been around for a good long time. It has to do with embodiment. And the, the theory is something along these lines. It's that you don't know yourself until you know opposition. You only know your physical form in terms of its boundaries, in terms of its limits, you only find out those limits by pushing up against things. Literally by pushing up against the air that's all around you. We feel at all times the contact of air around us or the contact of our clothing upon us. And in doing so, we are embodied. We understand ourselves. The same is true mentally. You don't know yourself until you've pushed up against something. Whether that's fear or depression or hatred or anger or someone else. There's a line from... It's sort of silly, but there's a line from Wife in the Super Smash Bros. Uh, the Smash Brothers documentary. I'm just going to play this section because I think it's kind of... In, it's relevant in a weird way. Okay. Yeah. So he's talking about Melee, he's talking about Smash and comp competition and finding his nemesis and how that drove him to better himself. I think that's relevant. Here's why I think that's relevant. My enemy is not a person. My enemy is not a group of people. People are people are people are people. And people are 
capable, seemingly in near equal parts, of good and generosity and collaboration and self-improvement and world improvement and gardening and growth and knowledge and speech and discussion and reconciliation and all these beautiful things that make us more than chimpanzees, more than violent animals. And people are also people. And they're capable of hatred and violence and despair and self-destructiveness and other destructiveness and just chaotic destructiveness and very carefully planned, distinctly, distinctly amoral and specifically evil destructiveness, like the destructiveness of the Nazis, for example. Very carefully planned to bring this world as close to hell as they could get it. Or like Stalin, for example, who planned immaculately to turn large portions of Russia into the closest thing to hell that could be, that could be manifested on this planet. Or any of the number of genocides and hate-motivated wars or other distinctly evil and destructive acts that humans have undergone over our long and bloody history. My enemy is not a person, is not a thing. It's a force. It's an unseen thing that dwells inside the mind of every single one of us. It's the capacity and the willingness to harm. It's the belief, the nihilistic and unfounded, although patently obvious when you look around, it seems, belief that being is bad and wrong and should not be. I deny that belief. I deny it, and I say this, being is good. It is not just neutral, it is good inherently. To be is good. And if you disagree with that statement, if it rankles you, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because despite all of the suffering and all of the pain of this world, being is good. And if you don't believe that, your being will not be good. And if you do believe it, it can be good. Not necessarily that it will. The world is chaotic and cruel. You can be as good as you can be and still get destroyed for it. I know a woman who's far too self-sacrificing. She spends way too much of her time cleaning up after other people, dealing with their problems. She is destroyed by it. Yet she continues on being, and being in a way that, that represents that being is good, despite her agony at life. My debate partner in high school had cystic fibrosis. It's on the special diet, on the, oh, I forget what it's called, the atomizer, the nebulizer, every, every night, every day. Life expectancy of like 30 
maybe a few more years if he got a, a painful and expensive lung transplant just to keep himself breathing. Men struggled to breathe. Not even a man, a boy, when I knew him. Struggled to breathe every day. And yet he worked his ass off because he believed that being was good. And the amazing thing was that that belief that being was good made all the suffering worthwhile. There's a, a section I've been reading the Tao Te Ching or the Tao because I'm continuing to investigate comparative mythologies and religions because there's value in them. As far as I can tell, and this is an idea that's in that book, I'm going to say his name and you can freak out about it if you want to. I don't give a shit because it's true. That book is the best book I've ever read by one of the most interesting and compelling thinkers I've ever read. His name is Jordan B. Peterson. And he says that somewhere in the histories of mythologies, and he said some other things that I don't necessarily agree with, I agree with that book, okay? So if you come at me and argue, you'd better have read some part of that book. Because I don't care about any of the other shit. I care about that book alone, explicitly and specifically, okay? This idea is that in our history of religion are the answers to these questions about being. How should one be? And is there a way to be that ameliorates the suffering of life in a way that makes being acceptable? And he makes a pretty goddamn compelling argument that our traditions and stories and religions are the place to find those answers. So you might start to see where I'm going with this. But I've been reading the, the Tao because... I'm relatively familiar with Christian mythologies, and I'm relatively familiar with Buddhist mythologies, but I haven't read the Tao. I've read the Tao of Programming, which is a great resource, by the way. Any coders out there? The Tao of Programming. I think that's what it's called. Let me see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you find it, if you find it, all you have to do is um, just just Google the Tao of Programming, and it will it will absolutely come up. It's by it's translated or, or copied by. Um, Jeffrey James, and it was it was from a, a NASA.gov site. Um, yeah, thus spake the master programmer. When you have learned to snatch the error code from the trap frame, it will be time for you to leave. <laughs> if the Tau is great, then the operating system is great. If the operating system is great, then the compiler is great. If the compiler is great, then the application is great. The user is pleased, and there is harmony in the world. The Tau of programming flows far away and returns on the wind of morning. Ah, mm, ah, such a such a great book. But I haven't read the actual Tao, which is crazy, right? So I went and I found it. You can find it for free. It's like 36 pages long. It's super easy to read. But there's a portion of it. Nurture the darkness of your soul until you become whole. Can you do this and not fail? Your shadow, your darkness, your capacity for all the things that you wish you weren't capable of, but you know you are. Because everyone in history has been capable of those things. And you are no different. You are no different from any of those Nazi soldiers who killed people. You could be convinced and altered and put into that position and you would go along with it. The Stanford Prison Experiment to some extent proves that. We are not as good as we think we are. And I'll say something else, which is it's really easy to be peaceful and pleasant when everything is peaceful and pleasant around you. And when you get sent into chaos, when you're angry, 
or you get punched in the face by something, or you get betrayed, you're not there anymore and you're not in peace anymore. Likewise, with what I've experienced, which is that when you're hungry, you're a different person. I mean, really hungry. When you get really hungry, you're willing to absolutely sacrifice your principles and morals. Your, your vision of yourself as a good person goes right out the fucking window when you don't have food. Right out the fucking window. Or maybe when your kids don't have food. Right out the window. Everything around you is a threat. Everything around you is an opportunity. And you don't care who gets in your way. Scary. So nurture the darkness of your soul until you become whole. Know that part of you. Explore that territory so that it doesn't take you over. Because this world is chaotic. And we live in very tight, very small little bubbles of safety. And they can fall apart real fast. All you have to do is look at the news and your bubble of safety collapses, right? You look at the news and you're like, oh, one developed nation is invading another for reasons that don't seem to make sense based on a propaganda machine and, and a, a, a seeming power struggle that's utterly insane, you know? Well, I live in a developed nation and I have neighboring developed nations. What would happen if they decided they wanted to invade me? Well, you wouldn't be very safe anymore and you wouldn't be very peaceful anymore and you might find yourself being a violent looter. Or what happens during these protests? Well-motivated protests, I think, in a lot of ways that have been going on across our country for months and years. In the wake of, of shootings and, and horrible actions by our government and, and foolish actions by our government and foolish actions by those who are revolting against our government, quite literally. Well, what happens there? Well, peace is, is in the city. And then peace vanishes from the city, and people begin to start fires, and others start to join them. Why? Because things aren't peaceful anymore, and because in the wake of chaos and destruction, we really enjoy chaos and destruction. We love that shit. We're really good at it. We as humans, I mean. We're really good at it. Murder and death and destruction and killing babies and throwing women and children off the tops of... of great walls and putting them in catapults and slinging them over the walls to to infect and destroy populaces and inventing new and terrible ways to wreak havoc upon the world. We're excellent at it. Extraordinary at it. All we need is the opportunity. All we need is the opportunity. Can you do this and not fail? Nurture the darkness of the soul until you become whole. Can you do this and not fail? What does it mean to fail here? I, I won't claim that I know, but I'll say what I think. I think it means can you nurture that darkness without it overwhelming you? Can you bring it into a balanced being with the rest of yourself? Or will it take over and turn you all devil, no man, no tears, Can you focus your life breath until you become supple as a newborn child? That one's past me. I don't know what that means. While you cleanse your inner vision, will you be found without fault? Can you love people and lead them without forcing your will on them? When heaven gives and takes away, can you be content with the outcome? When you are by the chaos of the world, or by the individual greed of others around you when you are treated unfairly or fairly, or more than fairly, can you be content regardless? 
When you understand all things, can you step back from your own understanding? That line, that line smacked me in the face because I have a tendency toward arrogance and pride. I believe myself rather well-read, and I believe myself rather intelligent, and those are arrogant beliefs that need to be slapped out of me once in a while. But I don't know everything. I need to be poignantly and, and sincerely aware that everything that I know should be known conditionally. I know these things, or at least I'm pretty sure of them, in the absence of evidence against them. But if there were evidence against them, I have to be willing and able to rearrange myself to fit in that new evidence. Giving birth and nourishing, making without possessing, expecting nothing in return, to grow yet not to control, this is the mysterious virtue. When the great Tao is abandoned, charity and righteousness appear. When intellectualism arises, hypocrisy is close behind. When there is strife in the family unit, people talk about brotherly love. When the country falls into chaos, politicians talk about patriotism. Forget about knowledge and wisdom, and people will be a hundred times better off. Throw away charity and righteousness, and people will return to brotherly love. Throw away profit and greed, and there won't be any thieves. These three are superficial and aren't enough to keep us at the center of circle, so we must also embrace simplicity, put others first, desire little. Renounce knowledge and your problems will end. What is the difference between yes and no? What is the difference between good and evil? Must you fear what others fear? Nonsense. Look how far you have missed the mark. So what is the enemy? What is the enemy? It's something like contempt for being, contempt for existence. That's my enemy. Mine. I chose it. And I square myself up against it. Where are my fucking scissors? Seriously. Seriously. little tiny sharp scissors to cut to the truth to divide reality from fiction and to figure out what in fiction is real and what in reality is false this is my sword and it's a representation because my sword is in here and the sword is the mind and it has two halves and they intersect and by intersecting the two halves of the mind explore and slice through experience to find reality and to decide on a path of action and so a scissor like Ryuko Matoi that is my tool and if you could make a scissor that had drills in it somehow that would be better and I'd like one <laughs> if anybody figures out how to make a scissor drill let me know because I need that shit I need it as a representation for me I'm gonna stand up I I'm gonna stand up Ha! That's stupid. 
That's stupid, I know it. But it works. It worked with my damn taxes. And so I'm going to do it here, because it worked there, and maybe it'll work here. It's stupid, but it's from my mind. My enemy is contempt for being. And I will destroy it as much as I can. So we come to the fundamental, which is, what am I doing, and why am I doing it? And where am I trying to go with it? I'll put the, put the wall back in. And prevent you from seeing the, the distracting chaos of my room. And, and let you see the, the more honed-in, more refined space that I've created here. Of intersecting darkness in the background and my face that sticks out from it. And a couple of books that sort of draw your eye over there. Bring it back to that space. So what am I doing? Where am I? And where am I going? And who am I? Well, I'm a person who came from a divorced family. A shattered family that was essentially divorced years before my parents actually separated. And should have been years before. So instead I lived in a family of, of chaos and strife. Of mother arguing against father and father arguing against mother and hatred. And that's impacted me. It's got, it's got a, a substantial impact on my existence and my way of seeing things. Don't like conflict, but I'm willing to engage in it because I know what happens when you don't. I'm right down the middle when it comes to the agreeable-disagreeable paradigm of, uh, or, or portion of personality analysis. I'm right down the middle. I don't like conflict, but I will engage in it when I have to. I'm becoming more willing to do so as I see that conflict is necessary in this world. Not very organized. I'm very creative. I'm, I'm, and I say this with as little pride as I can muster because I am proud of it and I'm not very humble about it. I am damn smart and damn well read. Multidimensional polymath. Not very good at math specifically, but, but literature, literature and linguistics, I'm in the top percentage of the top percentage of the top percentage. When it comes to, to parsing ideas and words, reading speed, out loud reading speed, listening speed, and, and, and acuity and clarity, and, and reading comprehension, I, I don't know anyone who's as good as I am. I haven't met them yet. I'm sure they exist. I'm sure that there are many people who are better than I am. I haven't met them yet. And I've, I've been in places where they should be. Universities, colleges good schools, great institutions, competitions, debate competitions, statewide, nationwide. Been up against the best of the best, and I've brushed shoulders with them, and I'm, I'm among them. I'm capable of holding my own. So I'm creative. I'm not very organized. I like resolving conflict, and I'm willing to engage in conflict to do so. What are the other, what are the other big five traits? I'm missing them. Oh, extroversion uh, uh, and positive emotion. Um, I think I fall more onto the introverted side, as evidenced by my retreat and withdrawal from society over the past years. But I think that that has more to do with the horrors of society, really, than my own innate traits. And I think I'm far more extroverted than I would, would have imagined otherwise. Um, and I'm at least capable of forcing myself into it, and that's cool. I, I think if I weren't at least somewhat extroverted, I wouldn't be able to sit in front of a camera and share myself with some honesty to the world. I don't think that would be possible. 
I'm high in openness, too high in openness. And I've, I've made myself much higher in openness by using psychedelic drugs. Because one, uh, uh, studies have shown that one application of psychedelic drugs like mushrooms or, or LSD or something similar um, increases your degree of openness by a standard deviation, like a huge amount. And I was already pretty high in it. And similarly, my conscientious, conscientiousness and ability to organize my space went down. And so it's something that I struggle with and I have to work on. And then there's neuroticism, and I don't know exactly where I, where I live on the neuroticism spectrum. I certainly feel plenty of negative emotion, but uh, don't frequently get overwhelmed with it. So I think I'm somewhere pretty balanced on most of these things, and that's me. And that's who I am. So where am I? What am I doing? What am I trying to accomplish? Well, I am a young man moving into being not quite so young in a society that has some fucking problems. Some core, deep-seated, deep-rooted problems. Some problems that are coming to a head. In a world where... I'm a transhumanist to some, to some extent. I believe in the future of technology. I believe in the human integration with technology. I believe we've already done it. I believe that the, the technological utopia is not just ha possible, but is essentially here. I believe that the, the fact that the way that we are integrated quite literally with our, our screens and our phones and the light that they produce and the, the processors within them and the way that they gather data and spread it is the same way that our cells are attached to neurons that provide massive amounts of condensed information to all of the individual cells of our body. And then take all the information from all of the individual cells in, in our body and use those to figure out a general state of where we're at and who we are. And I think I'm just one cell. And I think you could think of the body as something like the internet or the globe or Google <laughs> um, as the, the whole or something like that. Something like that. It's so, so far beyond me and so much bigger than me and so much more complicated than I can even fathom that I don't really know. But I... I believe that and i believe that in the moment as we're connecting to each other over the past 20ish years really or maybe 50 you could say since the very beginnings of internet style communication as we've been connecting to each other and connecting these neurons we're finding out about a lot of the disagreements that our cells have we've got to figure out a way to organize ourselves so that we become one body that can move because like the early uh, uh, the early eukaryotes and the early multicellular organisms were sort of just a mishmash of mis misaligned, misdesigned things that all want to do our own thing. And we're trying to unify in some way. We don't know how. We don't know how. But there are a couple of things that seem to unify us across time, across cultures, across peoples, across races, across generations. One of them is music. Music seems to be transcendent. It seems like, you know, you put a beat on and it's like, maybe it's because we have heartbeats or maybe because our mothers had heartbeats when we were in the womb or maybe it's because there's rhythm to everything or maybe it's because electrons move in a weird way. I don't fucking know why, but you put a beat and people move to it and we all sort of move in unison, like we become unified. Like we become a, a unit, like one body, right? 
you get a bunch of people dancing to a song and everybody's sort of in one mode. You go and look at, at religious ceremonies and dances and, and all these people have linked arms and they're dancing around in a circle taking the same steps, right? They're all, they're, they're acting out the, the feeling that we are more than our individual selves and we are one. That's something pretty interesting. Music is one thing. Art, visual art, is part of the expression paradigm. It's part of the, the exploration of what could be. It can also be demonstrations of what is. But I don't, I don't put as much stock in, in visual art as some might. And as some might think, given that I am primarily dedicated to discussing a visual medium. But my reason for discussing, discussing this medium is only partly because of my fascination and, and interest in visual art. It is mostly because of my interest in the other great uniter, I think, and that great uniter is stories. I think at a base level, everyone lives inside a story. And I think that we act out our stories consciously or unconsciously. And in almost everyone's story, we view ourselves as the protagonist. And we view the world around us as either, well, it depends on what it is. We, it depends on what our goal is. When we have a goal... Everything in the world gets organized pretty pretty quickly into, and this is a, a, a JP idea, into a couple of categories. Things that don't matter, which is most things. Things that help us get closer to our goal and things that get in the way. And then we know how to act in accordance to everything. We go closer to the things that help us get to our goal. Nice. We go away from the things that don't help us or we go toward them in order to destroy them, to get over them, right? If we can't avoid them, we have to, we have to crush them. And then we ignore all the things that are irrelevant. And doing that allows us to ignore most of the world, which is quite useful because there's a lot of world out there. But that ability to ignore things only occurs when we have a coherent narrative for ourselves. And I think the way that we get that coherent narrative for ourselves is, well, it's multifarious and maybe the most complicated thing that humans do that I know of. Um, but we get it from other stories and from watching the stories that other people play out in life and from taking the stories that we've watched play out in other people's lives and writing down aspects of them that we think are true or that we've seen repeated. You know, if you've seen, so here's, here's something, here's a story about, about cats. We've got cats and we've got a sliding glass door. It is common, like 10 times a day, one of the cats will come up to the sliding glass door on the inside of the outside as though they want to go to the other side of the door. And then you go up to the door and you open the door. Cat sits there for a second, turns around and walks away. The cat wanted to go outside, then decided it didn't. So the cat didn't know what the fuck it wanted. I was talking to the, the, the two and a half year old who's here today. And he opens the sliding door for the cat. He just got enough strength to be able to open it. So this is a huge thing for him. He's like, I can, I can change the house, right? I can change the world around me. And I can do it for the purpose of this animal who wants to go outside. But he opens the door. And our cat, Athena, stands there and goes, well, turns around and walks away. It's like, what the fuck? The fuck? And the kid's miffed. He's like, what is that? And so I, I, I kneeled down and I talked to him about it. I'm like, well, sometimes cats are weird. They don't know what they want, actually. They'll act like they want something and then they'll act like they won't. And then I talked to him because he did it the, the other day. Um, <laughs> he, 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 was, he was like, I want to wash my hands. I want to wash my hands. I can't remember if it's washing my hands or something, but I'll, I'll, I'll make it up. He's like, I want to wash my hands. I want to wash my hands. And then as soon as his dad picks him up and puts him by the sink, he goes, I don't want to. I don't want to. It's like, oh, oh. So you, you manifested a desire 
and realized you actually don't want it. What an interesting thing and a, a trait that is true of cats and is true of the child and is frequently true of me and is frequently true of many of the people that I know who go and they pursue a thing and they pursue it and they pursue it and they pursue it and then they get to the point where they, they, they would get it and they're like, fuck, I don't want this. I actually don't want it. Now, maybe they've realized that they don't, but, but that's an interesting story, right? The kind of story that might help you understand yourself. The kind of story that if somebody were to observe uh, hundreds of people, they might write a story with a character that embodies that trait of wanting things and then falling away from it or starting projects and then stopping them partway through because they realize that the goal wasn't really what they wanted or maybe they just don't have the motivational like drive or the systems to put them into the position to get there or however it manifests, whatever it is, that's like a useful story. Or like the story of star-crossed lovers, right? People who are in love, but they can't be. It's a, an extracted story. And from those stories, we build a story for ourselves. And we figure out what story we're already living in. Okay? Where are the best stories? I think the true best stories are in the great novels. The great novels. And some of the best stories are in the great works of science fiction. But I think the great novels and the great novelists are, are where we go for the best stories. And right after those great novels, right after those, those amazing stories, are original anime. <laughs> I think, I really, I really think, it's, it's my heartfelt belief that the best goddamn stories in human existence are in great novels. Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, um, um, fuck, uh, uh, Major British Guide, Tale of Two Cities, uh, Dickens. Um, the great novels. They tell fundamental stories. And there's a reason that they're taught in schools, because it's really good for children to have those fundamental stories. Because they're, you know, relevant to people. <laughs> But nobody teaches anime in schools. And I think that's a flaw because anime is distinctly... Well, it's created by creative people in general. And creative people are generally on the, the edge of our understanding of ourselves. They're pushing into inarticulate thought continuously to try to articulate it in, in inarticulate ways that they hope can get to other people. But the anime original stories that I've seen are, are distinctly and directly concerned with the single protagonist and, and not just anime original stories also shonen uh, uh and manga and everything that feeds into it they're, they're concerned to a large extent with the individual protagonist that is the you and then there are threats and enemies of some kind and friends and allies of some kind and the question in general is how should the you the protagonist act in the world and that's the story of of simon in gurren Lagann. And his relationship with the big brother, who is Kamina. And his relationship with the feminine, who he imagines as Yoko and then sees as somebody else. And his relationship with his own power and his own abilities and, and his own talents, because he has those from the beginning. And his relationship with authority and structures and the world around him. And his relationship with freedom and how he should act in all of those circumstances. And he starts out not knowing how to act. And only over the course of the series does he manage to get himself into a position where he can act properly. And once he does, the world organizes around him, and he goes way beyond his own expectations. Not, not just to the surface, but through all the layers of possibility into the, 
the ethereal unknown, right? That's a, a true story, truer than true, even though it's fiction, because it's your story where it could be. It could be. Because if your story isn't aligned with a story like that one, a story of moving upward, well then which direction are you moving? Because you're not staying still. No man ever stays still. No woman ever stays still. No human ever stays still. People don't stay still. They move. And they don't move sideways. They move up or they move down. Mostly. Mostly, as far as I can tell. So if you're not moving up, where are you going, man? Where are you going? Are you using your drill, your ability to, or your scissor, your ability to parse things, are you using it to create a, a, a grander boundary, or are you digging yourself a deeper hole? Or both, somehow. Because you might be drilling in both directions at the same time, and trying to reach up toward the sky while cutting yourself off at the ankles. You might be doing that, because a lot of people are doing that. And it's, I think it's because their stories aren't together, right? You know, you, you, can't, you can't be aiming for personal success and how, and you can't, so here's a, a pretty common contradictory belief that I think a lot of young people have. Belief one, I deserve and want success. Belief two, those who acquire success did so through evil. There are no good billionaires, right? So why would you ever aspire to become one? part of why i wrote that that little uh that little rap billionaire mindset because i put a goal in front of myself i would like to be a billionaire in a couple of decades and i'm serious about it and i've got ideas i've got i've got tech companies that i'd like to build and manufacturing companies that i'm about to build with it within a year from now i'm going to have a manufacturing company and i'm going to be building a a, 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 a an interesting product that i think will sell well and maybe i'll fail and that'll be great that would be great because in the process, I'll find out some of what doesn't work in, in actually running a business, you know? How cool would that be? That would be great. And I'm afforded the opportunity to do that, literally afforded it by your support. And that's amazing. Spectacular. But, you know, if your goal is success and then your idea is that everyone who is successful has done, has reached success by exploiting other people... There's a, a fundamental misalignment. I think a lot of people have that misalignment. And so you scoff at the, the dreams of those around you who believe that maybe they can become successful. And you know, it's, it's the people who've experienced real hardship, from my experience, from what I've seen, who have their stories in order. Because they have to. If you don't have a story in order, you're not going to get out of the hardship alive. They put their stories in order. And usually... From what I've seen, like my, like my roommate in, in college who had his story together, his story was, my mother is suffering, I am a capable young man, I'm going to achieve the best things that I can so that I can go and save my mother from suffering, and he's fucking done it, and it has directed him in a, in a, in a path where he has a good relationship with his mother and they're doing well and he's doing well and he's, he's got a good relationship with women in general and a good relationship with his job and a good relationship with the world and a good relationship with the society because he got his story in order and his goal in order and he didn't cut himself off at the knees because if he had thought, well, I should make some money to save my mother from her suffering but I can't make money without exploiting people 
that's you know fundamentally property is evil right property is exploitation is is theft then he would never have gone down that path and he'd be stuck and he'd probably be drilling downward and destroying the ability of other people to produce you know safety for their families The stories, the stories have to be in order. You need to know what story you're a part of, and you need to know that you can change your story, that you can choose it to some extent. Because different types of protagonists experience different kinds of stories. And based on the way that they act, their story unfolds differently. And usually they have foils and enemies in their stories who act in ways that are, shall we say, not ideal. And why are they not ideal? Because they lead to destruction, and they lead to failure. The, the truth is that which works, and works repeatedly. That which is evil or wrong to some extent, not evil, evil is malicious, evil is malice, but that which is wrong, which is not true, is that which does not work. By, by almost, by definition. I, I believe that, I, I agree with it. I, I agree with that philosophical and psychological proposition. You can argue it, and, and, and people will. I expect that they will in the comment section, and I hope that you do. Um, I don't think that there is a good argument against that statement. If, if a way of being is true, if it works, and if it works today, and if it works the day after that, and it works for you, and it works for everybody around you, to a degree that you don't all hate each other and murder each other, then it works. Saying, saying please and thank you is true. Manners are true, they work, because they, they demonstrate some interpersonal respect, and that, that interpersonal respect works as, like, solvent or glue or something or, or lubrication within our, our interpersonal relationships. And if you don't do it, if you don't have manners, people don't like you, and you don't get to interact with people anymore, and then you get ostracized, and then you get cut off from a society, and then you fall apart and die, because that's what happens to people when they're not a part of society. So it's not true. So there's a reason that we teach kids manners and to say please and thank you. And it's right to live that way. Right to be that way. And we teach those things in our, in our simplest stories. In our chi most childish stories. And it's really important that we do so. Because it's really important that kids get their stories straight. And get an understanding of what works and what is true. I think I have, this is just a, a realization that I just had. I, I think I actually have to dictate her um, precure. I, I think I have to dictate her slot it. I, I have to just force force put it in. Um, it's, it's too important to not do. Because the reason that I like precure is really simple. It has nothing to do with the, the girls or the, even the art or, or any of it. It has to do with the fact that these are compelling well-executed, simple stories aimed at children to teach them real truth about the way to interact and the way to act within the world. And they're good goddamn stories. And they work. And they work. They make little girls, and the little girl that is in every 35-year-old man, because every 35-year-old man has a, a bit of a child in him, especially if he hasn't been taught these stories when he was a child, especially if he doesn't realize that, you know, Hurt people hurt people, and being nice to, to folks can have a, an impact, and standing up and fighting for what you believe in can be good. 
you know, if he doesn't understand those things, then a big part of him is still a baby. And you can speak to that baby through that media. And there's a, a distinct reason. <laughs> there's a distinct reason that the Hikikomori generation is obsessed with cartoons for children. Because they're what those people need. They don't need cartoons for adults. They're not at the level to understand them yet. They don't have the fundamental stories. I think it's the same reason. This is a, a weird aside. I think it's the same reason initially, although it became a weird philia thing, and and I don't understand how it spiraled out of control so so seriously. But I think that was the initial reason and the initial enamoredness or initial um, obsession among adolescent males and females, as well as uh, 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 up through their 30s-ish males and females, with the American show My Little Pony. It's the same thing. It's a, a, I've gone and I've, I've watched the first like four seasons of My Little Pony, and I think it's a great show that you should show your kids if you have them. I, I actually do. And this is something that I want to do as well, is I want to start parsing children's media, like real children's media, and going through, because I think nobody's paying attention. I don't think anybody's paying attention to what we're putting in our kids' minds. Parents are just putting their kids in front of screens and letting whatever's on YouTube play, you know, searching kids' video or something, and it's fucking scary. Now, you can go and find, you can find the, like, five-finger hands videos and the, the fucking crazy AI-generated creepy shit, but I'm talking, like, going back and, and watching some Winnie the Pooh and figuring out what the fuck is compelling here, what's going on here. Right. Or reading through like the Calvin and Hobbes series and figuring out what's going on here. What is why is this a compelling set of stories for children or like My Little Pony, a, a piece of media that weirdly bridged a gap between the child female child audience that it was intended for cute, pretty ponies prancing around with magic powers like what the fuck. Right. And 30 year old adult men. Right. And, and we love to point at that and go, they're just kids. They're just stupid children. These these adult men are, you know, underdeveloped. Right. And we, we scoff at it as though it's their fault. It's not their fault. It's our fault. It's society's fault. It's the education system's fault. If these people are so desperate for Aesop morality tales that they're willing to sublimate their pride, men Men willing to sublimate their pride to not only watch My Little Pony, but to identify with it and demonstrate it outward to the world and be like, I am a, what do they, what do they call pony heads? Or I forget, I forget what they call them. I, I am one of those, right? Like, well, that's weird. That's a weird phenomenon that we should be aware of, right? I, I really think it's fascinating because it's, it's the same in Japan with Pretty, with Pretty Cure and with a couple of other series. These adult men are seeking something that they don't have in child stories. Specifically, child stories with a focus on communalism and working together and, and feminine traits. Traits that are traditionally feminine. Why? I have a theory. I have a theory. It's because those traits shouldn't be traditionally fem feminine, and the boundaries of masculinity should be brought. And this is an easy uh, uh, thing that everybody probably agrees with. The boundaries of masculinity should be expanded to include conscientiousness and helping other people, and standing up for your friends, and and fighting for what you believe in. And instead, instead, men. And you know this is true if you're one of me, if you're one of us, one of me. I do mean one of me, right? Because you are one of me. We're human. You're more like me than anything else in this damned world. 
You're more like me than cats and dogs are, and I'm more like you than cats and dogs are. You're more like me than anything else, so you're kind of you're kind of me. So tell me if this if this echoes with you. It feels wrong to be a man in our society. That's how I feel. I came to this to this realization when I realized that I'm not uh, uh, bi or gay. I realized that it was hard for me to admit to myself that I'm straight, because being straight, cis, and male is to say I am a part of the white male privileged patriarchy that is apparently the root cause of all destruction and death and evil in the world. Cool. That seems like a great thing to identify with. So it seems seemed to me like it might be um, worthwhile to find a different identity, something other than that, right? It turns out, as far as I can tell, and I'm willing to be proven wrong as I experience things in the world, you know, I might, I might walk into a room and see a, a man across the room and go, whoa, I'm in love with that person. I don't fucking know how I work. But right now, I'm pretty sure that I'm male, first off, and that I'm interested in women primarily, and that I identify with my biological gender and all of these things. And it was really difficult to admit that. It was really difficult to identify with it. And I, I really do think that that is because I have been told over and over, over and over, by dozens and dozens of intelligent, well-informed, smart people and books and authors and artists that I relatively respect, that men are evil and toxic and bad and destructive and chaotic and all of these things. So I had a really hard time, and I have a, a fraught relationship with my father, my primary uh, uh, viewpoint on masculinity, and so it's like, well, I don't want to be like him, and he's the best example of a man that I've got, so what the fuck else am I going to do? Because the stories for young boys don't have those things in them most of the time. They have some elements, but I think the stories for young girls are a, a better set of stories for a functional society than the stories for young boys, where they're, like, fighting evil or whatever. See, that's the thing. I have to go and look. I have to go and find out what are the stories for young boys right now. Not just shonen, because shonen bridges the gap, but like young shonen, young shonen. What's going on there? I don't know, and I need to know. I need to know. So we might watch some Precure, maybe, a, maybe just a couple of episodes. But stories are the antidote. I really, truly believe that stories are the antidote to the universal malaise and to this feeling of contempt for being. Because stories put in alignment, in a mythological context, in a way that doesn't seem correct, but it is, but it is. Some truths about the world, some truths about finding something worth protecting or something worth fighting for. The truths about individual and personal responsibility. The truths about interpersonal rela uh, uh, relations. The truths about conflict and conflict resolution. The truths about effort and work, and the idea that little by little, effort and work can get you where you need to go. That's the Gorn Lagan drill idea, right? Little by little, turn by turn, and then pa, one day it will pierce through and you'll achieve something beyond the self that you currently understand. These are important. And we believe in them. More than we believe in, more than we believe in science. It's, it's, it's easier 
for me to believe in in Simone and in Kamina and in in phrases like grit your teeth and believe in the me that believes in you those things are more true to me in my everyday reality than the truth that everything is made of atoms i mean that truth i could pretty much go through my life without knowing that truth and everything would be okay but if i hadn't incorporated truths like grit your teeth or truths like your drill is the one that will reach the heavens or truths like bearing oneself nakedly in the face of embarrassment and standing up for what you believe in and speaking your truth out to the world is the way to be, like Ryuko Matoi. If I didn't believe in those things, I'd fall apart. Who cares if I, if I understand that my body's made of cells or what the organelles in them do? That knowledge doesn't really influence my actions. The knowledge in stories influences my actions. The physical, mechanical knowledge of the world barely does. Now, it, it, it gives me an understanding of how I might be able to change the world, right? It gives me a tool set, but it doesn't give me a why and it doesn't give me a direction. And so I don't think we can replace mythology, and this is a Peterson idea as well, I don't think we can replace mythology with science. We need mythologies. I think we clearly need mythologies. There's a reason that anime is growing like gangbusters and that media and movies and Netflix and streaming and... and information transfer in the densest form that we can get it which is film which is a combination of audio and speech and and maybe on-screen text and deeply resonant visuals and and powerful things and we put an immense an incredible amount of money millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars both into animation and film to produce these these cultural story-based artifacts like why do we do that <laughs> like why why, why are some of the most expensive things that we publicly choose to spend money on and then individual people spend enough money to see them that they recoup their, their, their losses fivefold, tenfold at the box office? Why do we put so much money into movies? And might it not be the case that by examining those movies, we might discover what the people in our world are seeking? Because I'll tell you what, our, what the people in our world are seeking right now and what they've been seeking for the last almost uh, about a decade or so. I'll, I'll tell you straight up what it is. What are the most popular movies in the world right now? Well, what are the best-selling, biggest, biggest blockbusty movie five movies? Well, there are two. One of them is falling apart. That's Star Wars, and it's falling apart. That's the dream of a different place where things work differently. But it's just sort of an allegory for our current world, right? But there's magic in it, and so there's, there's some cool stuff there. Well, what's the other one? Well, it's superhero movies, Marvel movies. Why? Well, I'll tell you. It's just like zombies are consumerism and the masses and things like that. Everything in, in film, you can extract symbology from it. You can extract understanding from it. So what are superheroes? Well, superheroes, as far as I'm aware, now we've got a long history of heroic individuals and people who are... Uh, uh, super saiyan or bigger men or or better women or whatever they are right like stronger people than the normal people and that's a, a simple idea it's like you want to be that right you'd like you'd like to not be one of the cowering masses and be somebody who who is emblematic of the ability to stand up and put your hands on your hips and have a cape flowing behind you and fly off into the sky right but i think those 
develop in times of, of strife and chaos when the individual doesn't know how to save themselves because people don't often know how to save themselves. And so there's this wish, this collective unconscious desire to be saved. Or perhaps this feeling like there are people in this world who wield immense power and there are very few of them, and that is true. You know, there are only so many billionaires and they are superheroes and supervillains alike. And we, we wish and we hope that in a world where the cowering masses have no power to defend New York City, that a few great people, a few great humans and semi-humans, partly monsters like the Hulk, right? And partly, partly humans and partly emblems of our society like Captain America and partly women who are idealized in a weird way like Black Widow and, and partly the archer and partly the, the technologist, the Iron Man, and partly... Uh, 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 science and biology all of these things might come together to form a team that might face down the great enemies of our time and save the world wouldn't that be nice but it's not a story of you going and doing that it's not a story of the individual becoming a superhero anymore those stories don't show up in our media as often why? again, I think, I don't know but I think it's because people have given up on themselves, mostly. I think that most individuals in our world feel like they are powerless. And they're living in a world of, we talked about this last time, anxiety and depression and powerlessness in a tiny bubble of seemingly very fragile safety, just sort of waiting for the world to collapse around them and hoping, hoping that somebody might step up to be a superhero. You know, why, why do the, all these powerless young men look up to Elon Musk like, oh, maybe he'll save us? Well, because he's kind of a financial superhero in a way, right? He seems like he's, and, and people, depending on your position, you'll see him as a hero or a villain. And people don't really see him in between, right? People see him as a superhero or a supervillain, right? And part of that is because there are no good billionaires, right? And so he must have exploited people to get to his success, and he has, and there's proof of it. Okay. It's also you know, rolling out electric cars, which seems to be something that might help save the planet and building rockets. And we've been talking about getting off of this rock for a little while, and it seems like a good idea. So to a, a number of people, he's a superhero. And to a number of people, he's a supervillain because he's emblematic of capitalism and emblematic of, of the power differential and emblematic of, well, he's a, he's a straight white male who's at the top of a hierarchy. And that's, that's not good. And, and reasonably so. There are probably way too many straight white males at the top of hierarchies, and that's probably something that needs to, to shift over time. And I think it will. And I'm glad. I'm deeply glad. Like, awesome. Yeah, more, more, more women billionaires, more black billionaires, more people of color who are billionaires. How about more billionaires? How about more wealth for everybody? Because that's what I really want. Because that's what I think is really true, is that Fuck the people at the top, right? Fuck the superheroes, right? They're going to do what they do. I can't fix that. And they're going to be jealous and cowardly and, and greedy and human. And they're not going to invest as much of their money as they should into the, the human populace. Not everyone is, is, and you can have problems with him too, but Bill Gates is one of the most prolific uh, uh, philanthropists in the world and has done... I think more to stave off malaria and the deaths of children from malaria than any human that I know. And that's, that's something interesting, but not all billionaires are like that. 
not even Bill Gates is completely like that, right? He still lives in in great wealth. He's no ascetic who gives away his things. Now, Keanu Reeves is, is closer to that, multi-millions of dollars, has given away multi-millions of dollars, and lives his life fairly frugally, fairly ascetically, and that's admirable, I think. But it's not universal, and it's not universalizable, and to call for it from billionaires or to, to try to take away their wealth is, again, undercutting the goals of all the people who look up and see these people who are way above them, just like, you know, like, like uh, uh, Martinez does in or whatever his fucking name is, I'm sorry, uh, in cyberpunk, how he's sort of looking up at these societal structures around him, feeling like, well, all this shit is corrupt and I don't want to be a part of it. So where do I go? Who do I become? How do I forge a path if I'm not on this path, the path that everybody else wants? Well, shit. Maybe you could find some paths in stories. And maybe if you aligned yourself not with financial gain, but with some real truth and maybe with helping other people, maybe that would lead to the financial gain on its own. And maybe the fundamental proposition that property is theft is a lie. And maybe you can gain property by being ethical. And maybe I, Tiabu, am proving it day by day. Because look at my Patreon. I sell nothing. And yet I am alive. And I'm making more money than a lot of people who are working their asses off. And that's not fair to some extent. But I don't think I'm exploiting any of you. Not one bit. The only person that I'm exploiting is myself. I'm the only one who does labor for this channel. <laughs> you know, that's the only person I'm exploiting. So what do you call it when you exploit yourself? You call it sacrifice. You call it sacrifice. So I sacrifice my effort. I put it out into the world for free and I say, hey, if you find my sacrifice worthwhile, society, please return unto me one fraction of what you get out of it. And then it works. And it's like I'm proving it. There's... There's something to that. Wealth, or at least at least money, doesn't have to come from unethical means. Proof. Proven. Proving it every day. You can come be a part of that, by the way. Check out the Patreon. How cool. What I want... Well, I want a couple things. I think financially and geopolitically, I think we have the means and ability to eliminate poverty in the next 25 years. Just completely eliminate it. Not just in the United States, I mean globally. I mean, we could really do it. We could, we could uplift undeveloped and third world nations, um, or at least give them the tools to do it to themselves, you know? I'm not into the whole democracy takeover, liberalism, uh, 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 manufactured consent idea of going into spaces and establishing democracies, but... You know, sometimes it sort of works and it might lead to less bloodshed long term, but I don't know enough about the political theories of that to know. I do think that maybe mosquito nets might be a, a start or uh, uh, building running water infrastructure or electrical infrastructure or laying internet cable or laying, you know, putting up uh, 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 satellites like Starlink system that is being used throughout Ukraine. Um so that there's internet communications or cell phone towers um, and putting them, you know, how much could you change the world and the futures of the lives of millions of people if you were to go through all of the 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 parts of uh, 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 rural and developing nations and just put in cell phone towers, not even giving people access to cell phones, just building some of the fundamental infrastructure. How much change could you manufacture? 
by just letting people connect to the global world and find out what their world is like and find out, you know, <laughs> do do the thing that any of us can do at any time that we take completely for granted, which is that if I need to know how to dig a ditch to irrigate crops, I can go look up a YouTube video and find out. And then if maybe if people had the ability to go in and look up a YouTube video and find out how to irrigate their crops, their kids wouldn't die. That could be cool. And then maybe their kids could go to school and maybe their kids would be healthier and would live three times longer. And maybe those kids could become technologists and and all these wonderful things. Maybe. Right. And and people have been been iffy about this as a statement of like, well, I don't like you using this conditional idea of if you if you save children, they could become great things for the world because they could also be the next Hitler or something. And that's an irrelevant, idiotic proposition. The, the risk inherent in allowing a life is present. Fine. Sure. Yeah, they could become a Hitler. Is that a reason to deny their existence? Well, a lot of people seem to believe it is. A lot of seem, seem, people seem to believe that because of each individual human's innate capability for evil, and we all have it, all humans are evil and should be eliminated. And children should not be brought into this world. Because how many times do you hear that? I don't want to bring a child into this crazy, chaotic, fucked up world. Well, take that idea to its extreme, and what do you get to? You get to the idea that people should not be. And where, where do you go when you take that idea uh, uh, to its logical continuation? Well, I should remove people from this world, and who, and how? You're going to take that duty upon yourself? You're going to buy a gun and go remove some of them? Seems like a lot of people go down that path. Let's find out how many today. Huh. Really? No. So I went and I looked at the the shootings list. I was thrilled to see that since I last looked at it, there were, there have been no more. And then I switched from the mass shootings to just the general gun violence and shootings, and there have been been four today. It's twelve p.m. It's twelve thirty p.m. Not even a quarter of the way through the day. Being is good. I want to prove it. Or at least convince you of it, because that's better. I don't need to prove it in some, like, scientific sense. All I need to do is find... Is reach one person who's on the edge. Who's in uncertainty. Hold on. Ah, fucking silent robocallers, I hate them. All I need to do is reach one person who's on the edge, on the fence, who's in uncertainty. Not sure about being... Just unsure about the world in general, which is a, a very fair place to be. Especially when, as we've discussed, it's really hard to figure out what's going on in the world right now. You, you look for something and you find the truth and the opposite right next to each other and you don't know which one is which. And our, our, our general populace and our children are not taught the skills to parse those. I was taught those skills and I can't parse them anymore. It's, it's one of my greatest skills is, is my ability to do research. I learned it in debate. To do research, to look at an article, and to determine whether it's written in good faith, whether it's well-researched, whether it makes any sense, whether it's telling the truth even. And to go and, and collaborate and, and, and corroborate that, not collaborate, corroborate that with other sources and figure out what's true about a thing. It doesn't work anymore. I can't do it anymore. The internet doesn't let me because there's too much chaotic information. That's very scary. And now it's getting even worse because half the top Google search results for any given thing are AI-generated gibberish. They're nonsense. 
and and that's terrifying to me because our art is becoming nonsense and our our forms of finding truth are becoming nonsense and everybody's moving toward it and rushing into this future where nothing matters and nothing means anything like it's like it's the best thing in the world but people when they live in a world where nothing matters and nothing means anything don't know where to go they don't know how to align themselves to move upward and so they start sinking downward they become cut off from other people and individualized and covid hasn't helped and and technology and its its isolating forces have not helped it's also it also has helped because our ability to communicate across distance is amazing and we're doing some of it right now and even just watching my face across the screen gives you a feeling of connection with another human being and that's power that's so powerful it's so immensely immensely necessary for all of us but it's not getting any better or easier it's getting actively worse so where's the bastion? What's in the things that are undeniable? And one of the things that's undeniable is that music unites us. I think the other thing that's undeniable is that we live in stories, and that by viewing other stories, we get we come to understand our own stories better. So what am I? So that's where we're at to some extent. So what am I doing? And why am I doing it? Well, I'm parsing stories. I'm seeking out the most valuable stories that I can. Original anime series specifically, but also manga that have been adapted are really good. And, and I think the whole structure for producing them is really good because of the filtering process, because of the editing process, because of the collaborative nature of anime production, because of the number of artistic minds that must be bent toward creating a piece of work, there's this inevitable, and it's different between different studios and different between different studio structures and, and hierarchies and organizational schemas and stuff, but there's this inevitable collaborative construction of a story that's more than just true to one person, but is true to more than more than one person, and that means that the story can resonate with a lot of different people, and that seems to be the goal of the animation studio, right? Like, your goal when you write, when you, when you make a piece of animation is for it to sell, or for people to like it enough that they buy the products that are associated with it, right? And what does that mean? Well, when you like something, it's because you resonate with it, because you feel something about it, because you identify with it, or you want to, maybe, right? Maybe you don't identify with the heroic spirit, but you want to. Or maybe you don't identify with uh, uh, Tanjiro's need to protect his family, but you wish you did, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's something. And maybe you feel like, in the Tanjiro case, in the Kimetsu no Yaiba case, maybe you feel like there is a world of demons out there and you don't know how to fight them. And maybe watching that story gives you some ideas about taking a deep breath and align yourself and and go and like figure out your stances and figure out your positions and figure out your way of being and how to interact with with everyone and with with friends and stuff. And oh, it's good. There's a reason that that movie sold so many fucking tickets like people resonate with it and it does something to them. It changes people. They go from uncertainty to like a little bit more certainty. It clarifies for us our own stories by watching the, the compelling stories of others. And those stories seem to emerge in well-constructed creative fields. And I think the anime industry is the best-constructed, least-corrupt creative field that I'm aware of. Now, it's still poorly constructed and deeply corrupt, but I think it's the best I've got. It's the best I got to look at. And also, I enjoy it. And so... What am I doing? Well, I'm going in with the scissors. Going in with the scissors to parse these things and to speak unto them and to speak what I see in them and what I resonate with them. And I'm bringing to bear 
again, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but frankly, an immense amount of cultural, philosophical, psychological, historical, um, um, and general knowledge, things that I at least think that I know. And I'm happy to be proven wrong on those things, but I bring that to bear as part of the scissor blade. And half of the scissor blade is the known, and half of the scissor blade is the unknown. So the things that I already know, I bring to it. And then the show produces the unknown, right? It's the unknown, and I have to parse it by filtering it through the known and recognizing that it is its own thing. And bring it from the unknown into the, the state of the known. And while I do that, you get to watch me do that. And you get to do it to yourself, too. And you get more of an opinion than your own. And, and that might be enough. If the, if the myths, if the stories are the antidote, then the person who brings the antidote to you and opens the package and hands it to you, I can't make you eat it. I'm not going to shove the pill in your mouth and force you to swallow, but I'll hold it out to you. I can't force you to drink, but I can lead you to water. And the water is here. And maybe, just maybe, a few people who are stuck in that uncertainty, who are in that place where they could, if something went wrong in their lives, they could snap into that feeling of being is wrong and end themselves and end the people around them and cause some real destruction. Or just internalize the idea but not strongly enough to eliminate themselves from the gene pool and then go on to make everyone around them as miserable as they possibly can and then potentially find a, a spouse because they're desperate for some kind of connection despite their own self-hatred and then because of their self-hatred they hate their spouse and so they make their spouse miserable and then they have a kid because that's what you're supposed to do right and then when they have the kid they don't see any reason for the kid to be happy either so they make the kid miserable as they can you see this in families pretty frequently where where people just make each other miserable, and that seems to be their only goal. And what's the result? Well, maybe a couple of generations down the line, one of the kids has a revelation and gets the fuck out of it. Or maybe the kid kills themselves. Because they were convinced by everyone around them that being is not good, and that it is worth having contempt for. So that's what I'm doing. I'm parsing the material in the hopes of defeating a great enemy. My enemy. Chosen. My nemesis. It's not a person. It's not a political movement. It's not a group of people. I'm here to destroy contempt for life. I'm here to prove, to the best of my ability, that being is worthwhile, and art makes it so to some extent. Or art at least reveals that it is so. I'm here to convince people that there's value in the media that they so often dismiss as entertainment. Because I was told throughout my childhood that media and games and anime and entertainment and shows and films and stuff are purely destructive, that they'll rot your brain. That was what my father believed strongly. And so I watched only educational programming until I had my own computer and could seek out my own materials. Only educational media. And that was great for me as a kid. Frankly, it was really good. But it wasn't good enough because I didn't get enough stories. And as soon as I had the opportunity to go and seek them, I devoured stories. Starting with Aang, Avatar The Last Airbender, a story about 
the collected wisdom of history being passed on into one transcendent individual who has to make choices about how they will wield that power into the future and how to how to deal with the conflicts of the world as the the individual who is the manifestation of the the allegorical son the allegorical child of the world the you because you are a child of the world and you have some power and some prowess and you have to decide what to do with it. And a lot of it comes from your history and from the knowledge of your forebears and your ancestors. But some of it comes from the fact that you've been asleep for a while and you don't know what's going on in the world. And some of the truth in this world is that there is real evil and real destruction here. And some of the truth is that there is real creativity and real creation and real, real love here and families, things that you might not be a part of. And Aang embodies that story and he makes choices all along that story and he grapples with his own capability for destruction all throughout this story and he figures out the answer to it. I'm going to spoil Avatar The Last Airbender so don't watch the next 10 seconds. He figures out the answer and the answer is to remove power from the people who use it improperly but not to slay them so that you don't have to become the monster in defeating the monster. In incredibly articulate idea. It's in a kid's piece of kid's media children's media american children's media nickelodeon that's pretty fucking cool and cora transcends that story and goes in different directions and is a very useful story a very useful story for adolescents especially the first season with aman and and this revolution and this feeling of people who have power who have been to some extent like blessed by randomness by random chance are wrong and evil and there's something very real and very current about that because there are a whole lot of people in our current world who point at anyone who has any power no matter how they got it or what they're doing with it and says they are inherently evil because there are no good billionaires and profit or or property is theft right and so by by nature the fact that you have property makes you evil well is that so is that so it is not so and cora argues it extraordinarily well but Coral wasn't the show that I watched next. The show that I watched next, I sought out what are things that are like what are things that are like this. I sought out Naruto. And Naruto is the story of a boy who's got a goal, right? He wants to be the chief. He wants to be a leader of men and women and his village and all this stuff. But he doesn't know what being a shinobi even means. He's weak and stupid. He gets one powerful skill, one innate talent, or gifted talent, right? He's got he's got the the chaos monster inside him which is a powerful idea it's locked within him he's got the chaos monster inside him and he's incapable of controlling it for most of the series until he starts to get little bits of it and then he becomes more and more super saiyan more and more powerful as he comes to identify with and understand that monstrous side of him that is both destruction and creation because it's both this is naruto's story like naruto is a complicated and well-articulated story we look at him, we scoff, and we're like, edgy shonen nonsense, but no, man, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And what is what is Sasuke, right? Like, Sasuke is the opposite. They're Cain and Abel. They're, they're mythological characters. Naruto is dedicated toward moving upward in the world, right? He has nothing, no skill, no innate talent, nothing that makes him, him generally good, but he points at the highest thing that he can imagine, the, the Hokage, and he says, I'm going to be that, right? Pointed positively, what is Sasuke? Sasuke is the opposite. He has every gift. 
He's innately skilled. His family is highly regarded. He has everything. And yet he descends into chaos and destructiveness and hatred and jealousy and envy. And he believes that he is not being treated properly because he is too, he is more skilled than the people around him. And he's arrogant. And he is a perfect foil. And the two of their fight, they, they, they intersect and, and move through each other throughout and, you know, the story includes relations with women and relationships with, with women your own age and women who are older than you and with men your own age and men who are older than you and all these differences and with enemies and with allies and sometimes with enemies who become allies because that's a fundamental truth. And, you know, he gets the shadow clone jutsu. Naruto's ability is to become more than one person at once. That's not nothing, Right. His ability is to split into two places, and in, in the fights, that's what gets him out of the fights. It's his ability to lie, too, and his ability to pretend to be something that he isn't, that he isn't and to put on a bit of a mask, but he uses it for his own, his own goals, and sometimes those goals are misaligned and perverted and childish and stupid, but sometimes they're aligned with his grand goal of becoming the kind of person who other people would like to lead them. And he does. And then he passes that information down to his son. And I haven't watched Boruto, but I, I assume there are some truths to it. I assume they're pretty shit, actually. I assume that Boruto, written by committee and not springing... I don't know that this is necessarily true. Not springing as organically from the mind of the creator is a story made of top-down beliefs is, as opposed to bottom-up truths. Because Naruto is a story of bottom-up truths. That's why it's fundamental. Bleach. Ichigo is just a guy, mostly. And he, he the world is open to him as he reaches near adulthood. And he realizes that there are lots of great evil, hollows. Hollows, which are an idea. They're kind of spirits, right? They're spirits who have been corrupted. They're dark spirits, and they corrupt people. And they're his enemy. And he's given a sword that's a part of him. And, and he's given it by a, a, a woman that he then has to go and save. And the sword that's a part of him grows and changes as he does, right? And it's unwieldy at first and weird, and then it shifts in its form and all these things as he fights more and more complicated enemies until he reaches the root of all evil and discovers that it is not the root of all evil and that the world must go on. So I, my order was Aang, Avatar, Naruto... I think I watched Bleach after that. And then it was Full Metal Alchemist. And Full Metal Alchemist is the one that... Uh, Brotherhood. I watched both, actually. I might have watched FMA before FMAB. I don't know. Um, but FMA or FAB, FMAB, whichever it was, that I, event I eventually watched both. So they're just sort of muddled in my mind. Man, that shit... There's a reason that it's the top, top anime. It is... One of the most incredibly articulated mythological tales that I've ever seen, and we are going to go through it. This is a this is a promise that I'm making you. Okay, we are going to investigate and evaluate Precure, probably Heart Catch because it's the best of the series, I think. Um, and we're going to investigate and evaluate some of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I I don't know if I can watch the whole thing. It seems like a crazy idea to go and watch a show that I've seen like five times and talk it through. But I think it's maybe the best anime ever made, and maybe one of the best stories ever told. In terms of, like, serious mythological value. I mean, it's got the seven deadly sins in it. And they're all manifest as characters in the story. And they're all one unity of darkness that's all related to the overarching tyrannical father. 
who is actually underground in the underworld and connected to everything through tubes and pipes, and who is actually just doing the best that he can to stave off the chaos of the truth. And there is this transcendent truth beyond, and you get all these pride and lust and envy, and they're, they're manifested perfectly, and you get Ed and Al, these characters who are both destroyed, right? They're both partial humans seeking to put themselves together and become whole. All they have is each other. And Al hardly has that, right? And Ed is, they, they, they tried to, they tried to obstruct the natural order of things to save some stuff, right? And, and by obstructing the natural order, th order of things, they were destroyed and they're now on a, an endless potentially journey in order to fix themselves and to put things into, into alignment so that they can achieve things in the world. And they're, they're working and becoming proficient and like, and good despite being hobbling wrecks and cripples, one of them without even a body. That's, amazing it's it's incredible that that story exists and and the number of specifically fascinatingly valuable tales like the girl who's convinced of the church right uh by by a charlatan or or all of the stories around greed oh my god they're those are those are religious stories those are mytholo mythological stories like we we eat it up like it's popcorn and we don't even understand it a little bit right fucking like there's this there's this oh my god and then there's this underlying deep and serious corrupt racial tension that's part of the history of the world and still echoes into the the destruction and chaos that that scar produces righteously right like whoa and he's got a particular power that he doesn't even understand and it is the power to demolish things and put take them apart and it's not the complete power it's just one section of the true power that is alchemy right the true power that is alchemy is the ability to take things apart understand them and put them back together in a new formation while making a proper sacrifice in order to to accommodate the laws of equivalent exchange and there are some things like souls that cannot be exchanged right but scar's power is just one fraction of that he's the the destructive iconoclast right he only has enough understanding tattooed on him, a gift from someone else, from his brother who did understand. He only has enough understanding to destroy. He doesn't have enough understanding to put together. And while destruction is a useful part of the whole process of alchem alchemical shifting, and that process is built into the shifting and the fixing of the society and the weeding out of corruption within the society, within the, the, the alchemists, right? and the the guild or whatever it is there's a parallel there ed and al are the force that takes the the sort of scissor which to them is is al is ed's spear thing that he creates or is themselves or is their minds or is their ability to use magic or whatever you want to uh, uh, view it as but they use that to evaluate their society and discover the truths of the war and discover the truths of 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 their history and discover the truths of their leadership and discover that it's corrupt and their choice is not to disintegrate it and destroy it but to tear out with pain and suffering by their own sacrifice to tear out the parts of it that are corrupt and rebuild it into a way that can that can succeed in the future but scar is not that scar is pure destruction just tear down the system, just burn it all down. And that's pretty relevant. It's pretty relevant. Because when you look at riots in the streets, and you look at the, the dialogue and the rhetoric of the people, 
who are looking for change and they're motivated in good ways to seek change, they're doing so in a destruction-only sort of way. And a lot of the times they don't have an answer beyond that. It's, the system is wrong, tear apart the system, and we'll figure it out. Which ignores how many of the things in the system are right. For example, you have an internet connection. You would not have an internet connection if you were not living in a functional society. You probably have access to running water. And you certainly have access to electricity, otherwise you wouldn't have a phone or a computer. You have access to electricity and running water, and I assume sewage and garbage disposal. And you probably have a, a paved road outside your house. And you probably live in a house. And you take it all for granted. And you say capitalism is wrong, and the system that I live in is wrong, and the government that I live in is corrupt. And it's like, well, yeah, but it seems to be working as well. So maybe destroying all of it might not be the move. And maybe if you're going to open up that can of worms and parse it, you'd better have the skills to put it back together in a new way, an understanding of alchemy. Otherwise, you might destroy yourself and everything around you, you know, and the people that you care about, you know, like Ed and Al did when they thought they understood how to take the world apart and put it back together to save someone important to them. To achieve, to achieve some kind of peace in their household. They both almost died because of it and are, are crippled and destroyed and constantly, constantly aware of their failures. That seems like a relevant story. So those are the stories that shaped me. And then from there, it was on to Code Geass and some of the, uh, some of the more interesting things. Uh, uh, Death Note, Code Geass, the psychological shows, Cowboy Bebop, Exploding and exploring outward into all of the different multifaceted, multifarious viewpoints on the fundamental questions, which is what our myths and stories are. Who are you? What are you? What are you doing? What should you be doing? What, what is and what should be? And how do you get from what is to what should be? I think those stories contain the answers. The best versions of the answers that I know, the ones that sink most deeply into my head, are the ones told in story. And in anime. And in manga to some extent. We're reading through Poon Poon and that's got some resonance with it. So that's my enemy. And it's not a defeatable enemy. Contempt for mankind, contempt for humanity for being as a whole, for consciousness, for existence. It's continuous. It's ever-present. It's been within us since the beginning. And that's, that's evidenced by the fact that some of our oldest stories contain stories about it. Well, the, 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 the biblical Cain and Abel story is an old story, and, and Cain embodies that, that contempt that hatred. And he's, you know, Abel's dead. The, the pure child is not mythologically the father of humanity. It's the one who killed his brother. That's our great, that's our, our lineage. Mythologically, right? Like, I don't believe that Cain or Abel were real people. But I believe that they're an extracted story of the way that people act. Some people shine in the light and do things in something that seems like the right way and they seem to be rewarded for it. And some people, 
know, sometimes they do their damn best and the world treats them like shit and sometimes they don't do their best and they know it and the world treats them like shit and they resent it and they resent the bright the bright one as well and they have contempt for the nature of being because it is unfair and it rewards unjust unjustly but more importantly they have contempt for themselves because they know that if they had done the things right maybe they would have been rewarded more justly now, that's not always true of course right like bad things happen to good people and that's not fair granted granted strongest argument against the the concept of of benevolence in the universe whether you believe it to be attached to a big man in the sky or not seems irrelevant to me but like just the idea that there is anything good well bad things happen to good people and good things can happen to bad people so pff, karma's out the window it really seems to be except internally because when you do something wrong it destroys you you do go to hell you're still on earth but it destroys you i wonder if we could change the question from good billionaires to happy billionaires because i wonder if there are any happy billionaires and i'll bet the ones who are closest to being happy or least hateful maybe are the ones who've gotten their billions through the most ethical means not that I know that any of them have gotten their billions through ethical means. Not that I would even say that I, I, I uh, agree fundamentally that one can acquire that much wealth through ethical means. I don't know. But I wonder if there are happy billionaires. Because wealth doesn't make people happy. Moving toward, moving toward something worthwhile makes them content. Or at least capable of bearing the suffering of existence, it seems. And that's that's held true in my life, and that's been it's been directly accurate, right? Like I want to become stronger, and therefore the pain of going to the gym three times a week is irrelevant. It just is irrelevant. It doesn't. It's it's good. I like it. I enjoy it. Like what the fuck is that? It's pain. Shouldn't I be running away from it? it seems like no. It seems like no. At least not when I'm aligned with a goal. Or you know, I don't I don't like conflict. Conflict causes pain, internal strife. But. When there's a goal and that goal is like a peaceful negotiated state between myself and somebody that I care about, going into conflict is irrelevant. The pain of that it becomes irrelevant. I just put it aside and we go we go for it. We, I just say the things that need to be said. Hey, we got to talk this through. We're going to take a few minutes to hurt and then we'll be better. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump off. How long have I been? I'm going toward two hours, right? 157. Sick. Super... Pooper sick. Now, do I have enough disk space? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I mentioned that I wanted to start a, a company. And I mentioned in, in one of the earlier ones of these that I had rolled out a huge portion of my body with a glass bottle. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to build. I'm in the process of um, finding, uh, uh, finding an American glass manufacturer who can uh who can work with me to to make molds for the the stuff that i need and the stuff that i want um and i'm going to design i've already designed multiple times but i'm going to design and manufacture a at least mostly glass there might be some steel parts but i, I want no plastic in it 
a mostly glass, extremely thick. This is, again, like eighth inch thick glass, and I'm looking to get it up to about a quarter inch thick glass. So, uh, uh, three to, f to wait, no, uh, a quarter inches, six millimeters, I think. So almost six millimeter thick glass, maybe five, maybe four, whatever. I have to work with a glass blower to understand what, like, where the structural integrity is. But I want to make about a, a liter water bottle with a a, a, a handle, kind of a, a little bit larger than a 750 milliliter bottle that you might buy vodka or tequila in, um, vodka or tequila with. And I'm going to make it with uh, a curved, a particular curve here and a particular curve here and a really sturdy, like almost inch thick glass bottom, which is a, a design that I've got from a, a, tequila, a tequila bottle that we have in the house. Um, and I'm going to manufacture it. And I'm going to we're going to make a few models of it, but the idea that I have is that just like there is printed text here that sticks out just a little bit and produces a bit of a texture, um, literally a texture, I'm going to emblazon text over the entirety of the bottle. And that texture, hopefully, will allow it to dig deeper and produce a little bit of friction and a little bit of, of usefulness when you use it to roll your body out. And that's why I want to make it the thickest fucking glass possible. And I want to make it thick enough that you can drop it onto concrete from a, a standing height and it will not break, like guaranteed. Um, and I want to make it sturdy as hell and hefty and heavy um, and maybe maybe too heavy for some people. And that's okay. We'll figure it out as we go. But I want to make it and I want to call it, um, I've been working with my, my roommate. We're going 5149 on this uh, and we're going to put into place an LLC and we've got copyright and or not copyright uh, 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 trademark stuff that we're researching. We're gonna make it uh, make a bottle body bottle. And that's what we're gonna call it. The company we're gonna call body bottle. And we've got a number of different tools um, or ideas from the liter-ish bruiser bottle to the idea of the fury flask or the suffer cups or the uh, uh, the maybe the Punisher pitcher or temper tank, we're not sure, for like a big multi-gallon size bottle or something. And I've been I've been writing out dozens and dozens of lines of things that I want to put on that bottle. Because it's gonna be something that digs into you. And so so functionally it's gonna be like imprinting those words into your flesh with pain. Because it hurts and it's worth it. It's self-evidently worth it. Every person who, who works out and, and understands in any way like foam rolling or pressure relief, as soon as I get them to to put their glute or like their leg onto this bottle, they go, oh, and then they sit there for like half an hour rolling out that musculature and then they stand up and they're like, dude, I needed that. I really needed that. Like every single one immediately recognizes the utility of it and, and it, it's just like, yeah, I, I need one of those. And then I'll ask them like, hey, would you know, if there were like a little bit bigger one that you were convinced was sturdy, would you get it? Would you like want one? And they're like, Yes. Yes, please. I have I have four foam rollers and none of them work for me and I've got pain in my in my ass and in my thigh and in my ankle and in my in my back and in my shoulder and in my neck. And it's like, oh well maybe we can help you with that. So I wanna write all this text onto it and I'm gonna read some of it to you. This is going to hurt. You're going to suffer anyway. Suffer more now to suffer less later. The solution is you. Pain exists. When you run, pain grows. When you hide, pain grows. When you turn and fight, you find the strength to defeat the pain. The pain runs from you. When you choose to face the impossible, 
you gain the strength to overcome it. Push into the pain and it will flee. Hurt a little and be free. You are as strong as the pain you push through. Your only limit is the amount of pain you're willing to bear to reach your goal. Strength is a measure of your capacity to push through pain. You're here to get strong. I mean that... Metaphysically. I really like this one. You have to experience pain completely to let it go. I think that's true. I think it's true of, of heartbreak, and I think it's true of grief, and I think it's true of, of physical pain. I think it's true of pain in general. You have, to, you have to become awash with it. You have to bathe in it. You have to willingly turn toward it and step into it before you can release it. Otherwise, it will just stay there. You have to experience pain to completely to let it go. Find the spot that hurts the most. Push on it until it hurts more. Repeat until it hurts less. See, that's just true. It's like we talked about it in terms of, of motivation and in terms of, of reading or drawing or doing something that you're not good at or you don't think you're capable of. You find the thing that hurts you the most. For me, it's my inability to organize. It hurts me. It hurts me the most out of anything in my life. And it, it's, it's in a long line of things that I've gone, this is the thing that hurts me the most. And then I have pushed on that thing until it hurts too much for me to bear and repeated pushing on it until it stops hurting. And then I discover that there's a new thing that I can focus on that now hurts the most. And it hurts slightly less than the old thing. And I can see it clearly because the old thing isn't clouding my judgment. You know? Well, one of the, one of the first things that hurt was was that during during these last few weeks was that my identity was out of alignment it was it was out of whack and it needed to be solidified one way or another and it got solidified one way and once that was solidified bam on to the next problem and i was starting to figure out more interesting problems about being same thing with reading or working out or whatever it is what's hurting you and and, and if you sit here if you close your eyes right now and you entreat your subconscious, not God, not the universe, not the world, yourself, your unconscious self. If you entreat it and you ask, seriously, close your eyes and go, what is the thing in my life that I'm doing, that I'm a part of, that I have some control over, that is causing me the most harm? Or the thing that I'm not doing that's causing me the most harm? going to snap into your mind right away oh it's your eating habits oh you're not sleeping on time oh you're not working out the way that you're supposed to oh you keep skipping school oh you're procrastinating on your assignments oh you haven't made the thing you were supposed to make oh you you think of yourself as an artist and you haven't drawn in two weeks oh you jerk off four times a day like oh you can't stop eating chips and candy uh, uh whatever it is right like oh you're video game addicted and you haven't left your your room in in a week like you're gonna figure it out it'll snap into your mind just give it just give it a little bit so you'll then you'll know what thing hurts you the most so now that you know that it hurts you and it's within your control cuz it is push on it and when i say push on it it's yourself so it's going to hurt push on yourself until it hurts more than you can bear till you break because that's the secret until you break you're never going to incorporate anything new and that's an idea from Hoseki no Kuni right there's only one of them who can incorporate new things and it's because she breaks. Push yourself so hard against the thing that you want to do that you shatter and become, and it becomes a part of you. 
and then you won't be in pain anymore because you'll be integrated with it. Well, you'll still be in pain because pain is innate, but that pain won't be the pain and the boundaries of your existence will expand. I had this thought. I was speaking to my friend about the the idea of the human. Like, what are we? Like, what is what is us? And this comes from Godelesh or Bach is this idea that we are strange loops, that we're a a conscious optimizing a conscious situation optimizing element that is essentially bound by optimize all systems except this system is our box and we ignore that that second part of the rule and always step out of the system right so if you optimize the system of being able to walk you master it it becomes ignored and unknown to you and you can you can then move on to optimizing the system of how you run right and once you've optimized the whole system of how you move your body in space you can apply that to optimizing the system of how you move your body in space in relation to another person like dancing or in relation to another person like fighting or in relation to another group of people like a team sport right and you can move outside that boundary and optimize for it and optimize for it and optimize for it but the process of the strange loop always spirals outward it always breaks out of its own mold living things grow and so the idea was we we had been looking at escher's drawing of the two hands drawing each other right the hand drawing the hand drawing the hand drawing the hand which is the same as the idea of a thought trying to think itself or or the idea of a frequent uh, uh old school carving is a man chiseling himself out of stone right um, standing, looking down with a, a large chisel and chiseling his own legs out of stone. And I was thinking about that idea. And it doesn't seem right to me. And in the process of, of what I talked about in the, the first of the dailies, in the process of pushing up against a wall, I realized what I think that the real truth is. It's that you're a man who's pushing up against a wall so hard that you're falling apart, that you're crumbling into dust. And then you're hammering the dust that crumbles off of you into the wall as you're trying to push it over. Okay, you're building the wall up as you're trying to expand it. So you're you're building the next stage or the next area, the boundary that you can be in as you're pushing against it and expanding it outward and toppling it over. Right. You're breaking it. You're breaking yourself and you're using the self that is broken to rebuild the thing and using the thing that is broken off to sort of rebuild the self maybe or something like that. It gets too complicated. We only have so many hands to hold tools and things for this visual. But you're holding like a hammer or a tool or something, and you're using it to 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 not to chisel or to carve out, but to add. Right? You're additive and destructive at the same time, pushing it over and adding to it. And what you don't realize as you zoom out from that picture is that the wall that you're pushing at is the back of the ankle of a much larger man who is himself pushing against a much larger wall and is himself shattering away from it. And the parts that are shattered away are the parts that you're adding to him, that you're hammering into him. And he's pushing up against a bigger wall and destroying himself in the process and building the next self. And that's humanity. Because you are constantly building a new self that you cannot even see or imagine. And and the old self is not the new self because once you undergo a change, you're not the person that you were. And pers a person is never the person that they are. I'm a person right now. Now I'm a new person. Inherently. Inherently. Like hundreds and thousands of my cells have died and new ones have been born in the seconds between those two statements. And I've changed because I said that statement, right, and, and, and manifested it and communicated it and all of these things change us, right? They change us. But it's also... You're desperately pushing a, a, down a, a border for yourself while you're building the next generation and you're hoping that they can be bigger and, and stronger than you are. 
and you're building this wall and pushing forward without even realizing that the wall is you. And you're pushing yourself forward, right? You're pushing the the back of the ankle of the human, the bigger human who's building the next wall and pushing it down. You're pushing them forward. You're actively assisting in the movement of all of humanity forward and the movement of all of humanity bigger and better and stronger with, with wider boundaries and greater movement. And that's what I think man is, right? human is, fundamentally, at our core. We're this thing that's destroying ourselves to rebuild ourselves, to rebuild the next generation, to plant trees that we won't even grow under the shade of, to open open walls and build them stronger and higher, but also further out so that they include more, right? Because walls are good. There's chaos out there. But everyone should be within the walls because people are people are people are people and people deserve to be safe. So it's it's something like that. I believe in that. I believe in it. As soon as I, I, I thought of that image, it was like, that's it, man. That's the one. There's, there, are, there are more on the, the pain stuff and the bottle things. and But I want to I build that bottle manufacturing company and sell them, sell them on Amazon or something. You know, sell them through unscrupulous Instagram ads if I have to, because it's, it's a good product. And and if I can make it the best product that it can be, and if I can sell it for a reasonable price, you know, pe people pay, uh, uh, you know, stainless steel double insulated water bottles cost between like 18 bucks and 45 bucks. If I can get the costs of these glass bottles down below 10 bucks and sell them for 15 or 20 and they're a multi-purpose tool. You know, a foam roller costs 20 or 25 bucks, and it's made of plastic. And I want to make them all out of recycled glass, and there's something about that, right? There's this, there's this idea in the recycled glass that's really cool, um, and I want to put that on the bottle, too. The souls of hundreds of bottles live on in this bruiser bottle. They were a legion of rejects, garbage, defects, not even fit to be beer or soda bottles. They were sacrificed for a greater purpose. Broken, shattered, melted, molded, and reborn, they live on as something useful. Please respect their legacy. And that's what you can be. That's what you can be. Broken, shattered, melted. But you can be molded and reborn, and you can do it to yourself, and you can turn yourself into something useful, but you can't do it without experiencing pain, the pain of disintegration, the pain of shattering. And it's worth doing. It's worth doing because being is good and you can get better at it. And you can make it better for everyone around you. And when you do, being acts like it's good. Being feels like it's good. And you can act for glimpses at first, but then they become more continuous. You can act in enough harmony with the world that you're not hurting all the time. Or at least that the hurt that you're experiencing is offset by manageable, by, by, by moving towards something worthwhile. And then maybe kids wouldn't kill themselves and their friends, or not friends, or enemies. Maybe, maybe teenagers would be less likely to say that being is not worth being. Maybe the, the friend of mine who killed himself when he was 15 would still be alive. Maybe... My neighbor across the street who no longer lives there because he's no longer alive because he killed himself would still be alive. I'll bet, I'll bet each and every one of you knows someone or knows someone who knows someone who has killed themselves in the last 20 years. 
to the point that we're jaded by it, that we take it for granted, that it's just a normal part of life that people are killing themselves, removing themselves from existence. It's just normal. Well, it's not normal. That's not good, and the ideas that lead to it are not good, and I, I deny them. I deny them. I deny them. I say being is good. I'm, I'm here to convince you. If you agree with me, come with me, and we'll show the world. If you disagree with me, come with me, and I'll show you. If you're not certain, come with me, and we'll explore together. And we can find out, um, hopefully in a way that is compelling. Because nihilism, this, the idea that everything is worthless and meaningless, and negativity, the idea that everything is, is corrupt and worth being destroyed, and, and this over, overloaded like hatred of systems of authority to a, a destructive degree that is spectacular is not good. It's, it's not good. We can be more like Ed and Al, leaning on each other, supporting each other, keeping each other alive, and looking from partly within and partly without of the system, looking at and evaluating the system and the things around it, and the past and the histories and the stories that we tell, and the lies that we tell, we can evaluate those, and we can start to seek out and, and weed out the weeds and true corrupting influences, and specifically the ideas that are in your head that grow like vines up a tree, sapping the life from the trunk, parasitically stealing your, your force of energy and willpower and life and creativity and love that is in you. Because just as much as that capacity for evil is in you, the capacity for good and generosity and love and creativity and collaboration and, and socialization and friendship and happiness and, and creation, the spirit, of, the spirit of creation lives within you just as much as the spirit of destruction does. And we focus far too much on the one of destruction. And, and fair, you know, we're risk-avoidant creatures. We, we avoid risks more strongly than we do, than we seek pleasures. And that, that's universal, I think, among um, most mammals. I think we can find it out with rats. You put a rat on a, a, little, a, little, um, a little spring so you can tell how hard they're pulling. And you put food a, a, across the wall away from the rat. And you see how hard the rat scrambles. And the rat scrambles so hard. But then you put cat piss behind the rat. And the rat scrambles way harder. And then you put food in front of the rat and cat piss behind the rat. And the scra rat scrambles harder still. We're more risk-averse than we are goal-oriented. And so we focus on the negatives of ourselves and humanity and of the people around us. Um, and this is something to catch in yourself because the people around you are probably doing their best and you probably despise them um, if you live close enough with them because they don't take out the trash frequently enough or don't do the dishes or, man, they never clean up the damn floor or uh, uh, they always leave the toilet seat up and all these these things. And you, you focus so hard on their negatives that you can't even see that they made breakfast for you and and you know like cleaned the other part of the room and uh, uh reorganized the fridge and did all these other things that they think are so important and they're looking at you with contempt because gosh you just never reorganized the fridge and you left a milk in there and it got spoiled and somebody almost got, got food poisoning like oh god how dare you 
And so we, we refuse to understand each other because we're so focused on each other's negatives and on our own. But it doesn't have to be this way. And, and there are some fundamental, like, serious things wrong with the world and the way the world is being interpreted by, as far as I can tell, the majority of people within the world. I think the majority of people within the world, young people specifically, 30 and under, have a false and faulty, at least in part, conception of reality. One that leads toward negativity and chaos in a way that's real scary. I think we need to fix it. I'm not sure how, but I know that this one thing works a little bit because people have told me that it's worked for them. That that somehow the process that I'm undergoing of looking at these these weird fictions helps them or has meant something to them or has changed something in them. Or they'll come in and they'll say that this piece of media that, that you're now evaluating changed my life and I can't wait to see someone else's perspective on it. And it's like, well, shit, what are you doing there? <laughs> What's going on there? How did a, a piece of a story changed your life? Ridiculous. What a, what a foolish thing. And yet it is known to all of us. Like, it's, it's really hard to deny that stories have the power to change lives and to change societies. And there is... There is a difference between stories that change societies in good ways and stories that change societies in bad ways. There are a couple of people in this world who've told stories that have changed societies in really bad ways. Adolf Hitler was a storyteller. A mediocre artist and then a storyteller. He wrote a book, and the book was a story. It was the story of his struggle, and it was allegorical for the, the struggle of the German people after World War I. You know, his, his idea of getting rejected from art school was relevant and accessible for the German people who felt like their great nation had been destroyed unjustly. And it captured the hearts and minds of the people, and it gave them an, an enemy to fight against, and that enemy was Jewish. And what, what was created and altered by the story that was told? Because that's, that's what happened. And, and Hitler, as a compelling speaker and leader, led his people down a path of absolute evil, true malice and destruction from a story. I've got a copy of Das Kapital and a copy of the Communist Manifesto on the way and a copy of the Marx-Engels reader as well. And I'm going to read through them. I'm going to see what kinds of stories they tell about the nature of humanity. Because I have a feeling I have not read the, the core communist texts and I need to to understand them. They're one of the places I least want to look and I will look there because I must. Um, and I'll, I'll read some Zizek too and I'll read some other philosophers and, and, and theorists on the subject and then I'll read their opposition as well. And I'll, I'll try to read the balanced pairs and try to figure out where the truth is in the middle. Because I, I suspect that the truth, the, the way to a functioning society is somewhat like the one that we have, just if it weren't as corrupt as it is. It's something like a, an egalitarian democracy that runs on a, a, a mostly but regulated free market, market economy, but institutes significant social programs to ensure that the baseline of existence for the humans within its care for the citizens within its reach are is at least livable right 
like a living living ability. <laughs> like people should have access to food and water and shelter and stuff, and maybe to the internet. We might argue, you know, you know, if if you were looking at the rights of any cell in your body, that might be a that might be a good model for the rights of any person in society. Would be the model of the rights of your cells. They have the right to stay alive until they are crushed by the weight of chaos and existence seems about right they have a right to be connected to the cells around them and to be social in some way seems right they have a right to be connected more globally like via neurons which let them signal their truth to the world you know they should have a way of expressing their feelings and their emotions and their current state to the power structures that be whether those are governmental or technological they should be able to say this isn't working for me ah and give like a pain response and that should be treated with some respect and you know, systems that are in place should be sent to that cell to assist if possible, you know? And if the cell goes goes cancerous and destructive and starts destroying all the cells around it, well, we should have, we should have a, a functional system that comes in and, and takes that cell and everything around it that's being destroyed and being actively destructive and eliminates it and, and maybe quarantines it and maybe puts it in a cell or something, and that seems like a, a relevant and viable thing. And so... We need structures of authority and stuff, but we also need blood vessels to carry nutrients and liquids, right? And to carry away waste products, garbage trucks, water systems, electricity. These things should all be basic. You don't, you know, you, the cell doesn't have to, to, to necessarily prove its worth to get those things. It's given those things, and because it is given those things, it is capable of showing its worth by doing whatever its job is, whether that's being a, a member of the military on your skin and protecting you, or a member of the police that are your immune system and protecting you, or whether it's a member of your the cells within your eyes or the neurons that interpret things, and those are like the the, the seers and the artists and the thinkers, right? Or whether it's one of the cells in your lips and mouth, which are the the tasters and the consumers and the sensors, but they're also the speakers and the ones who 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 say what the collective is thinking, who who put out there what they believe, you know. Or or maybe you're a cell that's a part of a muscle that's essentially part of a, a movement and and transportation and stuff. Or a cell that's epithelial and is you know what, what are the the people who work on roads doing? They're basically fixing our and managing our blood vessels across our nation right and and what are truckers doing you know they're like platelets or not like platelets like like individual blood cells carrying nutrients and goods and things from side parts of our society to another it's all one body it's all one body and every cell within it every human within our society every cell within our body every human within our society deserves the necessities for life the basics blood flow, nutrients, a connection to the overall nervous system, connection to the cells around them, uh, uh, a goal, a, a way to be that they can fit in, right? And and if they can't find one, then they need to, to, to find one. We need to find one for them because they matter more than the whole, right? Every human deserves those things. Every cell deserves those things. And only then should we expect them to turn back and contribute to the society, right? Like, how, imagine if our body... What was was in the the same cruel uh, uh, anti-poor, which is not capitalist. It's just anti-poor. There's deep a a poor hatred in our country and in many countries. If our body was anti-poor and was like, well, 
you know, just stop being poor, you homeless fucks on the streets, you idiots, you obviously just don't get it. If we were like that to ourselves, you know, a cell divides and now there are two new cells and the body just goes, yeah, fuck you guys, make it on your own. Those cells both die and, well, shit. It didn't work, and if our body did that overall, all the new cells would then die, and then the person would. So that doesn't work for society either, does it? And so all the cells need a basic living standard that they can, that they are accommodated to, and they need basic health care that is accommodated to them, and all these, these basic things. And if we, if, we, if we view society as a body like that, well, you start to be able to put into place some of the things about the, the, the body, right? You know, you get the manufacturing systems that are like the that are like the the internal organs and the digestive tract and you get the the filtering systems that are like the liver and you get the systems of control that are like the brain and the systems of of thought and creativity that are like the other half of the brain and then you start to to recognize that a lot of the political strife is an extrapolation or an expansion on the internal psychological strife of the individual human, right? We've got two sides of our brain, and one of them is is uh, organized to deal with chaotic things and creativity, and the other thing is organized to deal with known things and keeping things the way that they are. And it's like, well, you look at politics, and one half of our political side is essentially, for the most part, and it's way wonked because it's hyper-corrupt and extremely wrong, right? But at root, the sentiment of one political side is keep things the way that they are. That's the meaning of the word conservative. And the root of the other side is make make changes when things need to be changed to deal with the unknown and 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 grapple with the unknown. Right? You know, a, a lot of the 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 liberal v conservative fights that are happening right now have to deal with sort of unknown quantities. Right? It's like it's like convincing people that trans people are people. You know, because that's sort of like a, a new thing. I know that it's not a new thing, but to a lot of the conservative folks, they've never met a trans person or even a person who didn't like fit a clear gender role. Like they've only met men who acted like men, women who acted like women. And maybe, maybe, you know, if you're in the deep South, maybe you've met one gay man ever and you were probably told that he was evil. Like, that's new content to you. And and the, the liberal side is saying, no, we need to integrate this new stuff, guys. We need to integrate this new stuff. These people are a useful part of our society. They could be part of our body. They could be something that we don't know. They could be an organ that we don't that we don't have yet. They could have something useful that we don't know yet, right? Just like a, a, a cell taking in a new organelle, right? And being like, well, I didn't have a, a mitochondria before, and now I do. And would you look at that? It works. But the job... And it is the job, and it's not good, but it is the job of the conservative side is to say, whoa, no, that's new and scary, and we don't know what to do with that with it. And to ask all the questions like, well, but, but, but can we really trust them to do? And they're all stupid questions, right? Because at fundament, it's like, well, people are people are people are people, so of course they deserve basic human rights and liberties, right? Like, duh. You know, it's the same thing, same thing with, with people of different colors, people, pe people in, uh, uh, white society white racist society were like whoa that's a new thing to let these let these other people into our society whoa what what's that gonna do to us and they were wrong they were they were wrong right but at base that's the way that that we are that's the way that humans are you see something new you freeze and you treat it like an enemy like a snake like a monster like an like evil so all this conflict is like a spiraling out of our our internal struggles at least that's how I'm, I'm envisioning it because i really envi envision 
society is a fractal of the individual and the individual is a fractal of society and i have this this sort of globalist techno transhumanist uh uh col semi collectivist but i'm i'm strongly for the individual like I believe in collective systems and collective solutions to problems that are bigger than the individual, but those collective solutions have to incorporate the individual, otherwise we fall apart. Like, like we don't like being treated like, like autonomous drones. Our society is not going to work like bees, but we can learn a lot from bees. And we can learn a lot from ants because they're really efficient, and they're really good at working as a whole, and they're really good at making sure that all the children of the hive survive to or most of them survive to the point where they can become contributing workers and they do that through some distribution and 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 collectivism of wealth right like individual bees don't have wealth they put it all into the hive and the hive owns it all but that's not how individual humans are so we need some balance between that and that's kind of like some things should be collective so systems right the the care of children and education of children should be somewhat collectivized and the 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 ability to feed the masses should be somewhat collectivized and the ability to get running water and and basic nutrients and connection and stuff should be somewhat collectivized and then there should be the availability for the individual to determine their own path once they're set up in a world where they're not in constant fear of death because again, when you're starving or you're in constant fear of death, your ability to create, your ability to look toward even a positive future goes out the window. And your willingness to destroy and cause chaos goes way up. We're in this constant clash. As our whole system gets connected to each other and we find out just how different everybody is, everything is novel all the time. Everything is new territory all the time. And so the conservatives lock themselves up behind their walls because they're terrified of everything. And they're cowards. They're cowards, to be fair. Um, but the, the, the more liberal, liberally-minded, more open individuals go hell-bent into, into the chaos and in, embrace it completely. And that might not be the way either. There's a reason that we're divided into those two parts and that they balance each other, right? And maybe they're out of balance and maybe they're out of balance in both ways, in infinite ways because of deep underlying corruption. And I don't know the solutions to that. But I think I do know the solution to ensuring that you, no matter how chaotic the world outside you seems, are capable of parsing some of it and determining what you should do. And if we can get a couple million people who would have been not doing what they should do, to be doing what they should do, I think that will save the world. I think it will actively save the world because the thing that each of you should be doing is being good to everyone around you in a way that convinces them to do the thing that they should be doing and be good to everyone around them too. And that ripple effect is fractal, right? It's, it's you change one thing and everything goes, whoop. it's like when you put a, a go piece, a, a, a black, white go piece onto a board that's all black pieces, you put the white piece down and the whole thing goes, and it all flips, right? Well, we can do that. All it has to, all that has to happen is you have to change. All that has to happen is that you have to change your direction, your alignment from the darkness to the light step out into the light of truth I embrace your fellow humans love each other and if you see somebody in your immediate vicinity acting erratically your initial response is going to be that's the unknown that's scary i need to stay away from it but i entreat you to at least examine 
that emotional response because there's a, a distinct possibility that they really, really need help and don't know what the fuck they're doing. And maybe, maybe you should invite them to come and watch a story with you or something like that. Because I, I don't know of anything that's more capable of causing someone to change than sitting and maybe sharing a meal with somebody who they can deal with being around. I won't even say like, but someone who they can deal with being around and both together simultaneously observing a powerful piece of media, a piece of media like Gurren Lagann or a piece of media like Kill a Kill or a piece of media like Redline um, or one of the Busters or, or hell, a piece of media like Naruto or maybe, and I don't know yet, a piece of media like Jujutsu Kaisen, but certainly a piece of media like Demon Slayer. Just go, you know, invite them to, hey man, you want to watch anime with me? Fuck, so good. Oh, that, that does remind me of one last point that I wanted to make, which was this. The reason, part of the reason that I'm parsing anime is because I think it's where the most value is. Another part of the reason that I'm parsing anime is because I think anime and manga are where the outcasts go. I think there's no higher concentration of depressed, anxious, confused people than in the fan bases around anime and animation. Um, and I think that's that's fundamental and psychological. I think that while we are all innately built to relate to to other human faces, it um, watching them in movies can be difficult if you don't know how to relate to people very well or if you're poorly socialized. And so relating to animated characters who are sort of like they're human, but they're not human enough for you to feel uncomfortable about their faces being too real. Um, so you can project onto them your symbols more it seems to be really compelling. That's my guess, at least. At least one layer of the thing. I think another layer of the thing is that it was sort of, anime was sort of new and not well understood and and different, right? And so the the edgy edge cases sort of go in that direction, right? Regardless of how it happens, the, the people who watch cartoons, I think, this isn't to say that you're watching cartoons because you're depressed, but I think there are a lot of people who watch cartoons because they're depressed. I think there are a lot. I did. I I sought out something that I was missing in these mythologies, and I found it in anime. And And other people seem to do the same thing over and over and over again. And so when I turn my attention to it and I choose this thing as the medium that I investigate, that's another part of why. is because I think that the most people who need something can be found here. Because the place where you find the most people who need help is not at the clinic where they're getting help or like a therapist's office. Those people are already getting help. They're fine. The people who are sitting in their rooms watching anime all day and jerking off five times a day and whatever, those are the people who need help, who need a, 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 a voice, who are voiceless. And maybe, maybe I can give them a little bit of that or show them that someone who, whether they believe it or not, has been like them. And I have. I was on the road, man. I was on the path to incel them and black pill. I was on the road. Really was. You know what got me out of it? Well, two things. That book and the man who wrote it. Specifically, specifically, and being very specific here, specifically the, the university lectures that he put up for free online. Immense resource. Has also catapulted me into watching university lectures on all, all sorts of things. Um, um, 
MIT and Stanford have an immense amount of lectures that are online for all sorts of stuff. Uh, and you should go check them out because you can go and get the multi-thousand dollar educational experience uh, from some of the best minds and best teachers in our world ever who have ever existed have put their material which costs thousands of dollars, by the way, per semester. They put it all up for free online, and you can just go and watch it. And the only thing that you sacrifice is that your time and the pain of finding out that you don't know everything. <sighs> Paltry sacrifices. You know, I, I talked to my, my roommate about it. And he was like, "Man, I'm I'm really sad. I gotta I gotta work really hard because I gotta you know I gotta pay for daycare and all these things, and I, I can't afford to go back to school. I want to complete this kinesiology degree." He's working toward becoming a a, a chiropractor or a chiropractic assistant at least. I want to finish my kinesiology degree. And I gave him sort of a weird look. I was like, and you need to go to school for that? And he was like, yeah, you need to go to school for that. You need, you know, you need a degree. And I was like, okay, do you actually need to go to school and get a degree? Or can you just test for a certification? He's like, well, I don't know. So he looked it up. Turns out you can test for a certification whether you've graduated or not. Highly recommended. Like, like taking the bar without going to law school. It's like, your likelihood is low. But it's not that low. And so then I went onto YouTube and I was like, okay, let's go check on YouTube. And I type in Kinesiology 101 and I scroll through a little bit and I find a playlist from MIT. Click on it. It's got 14 or something videos in it and they're all an hour long. And I go, hey man, here's a semester of classes from MIT, Kinesiology 101. And, you know, you go to the, go to the, the page and it's like, well, there's Kinesiology 102 and, and most of the entire curriculum of everything that you would need to know. And you can just go and get it. And the only thing stopping is you. That's magic. Like, the world is so open to you that it feels like it's closed. It feels so chaotic and insane. You know, you've got so many options and so many opportunities that the ability to choose what to do seems impossible. And that's the point. Again, the stories are the things that put that into alignment because they tell you what goals are worth searching and how to move toward them. And once you have those in place, you can ignore most of the world because it's irrelevant to your goals. That's awesome. It's amazing. It's, it's the best thing that you could ask for because it, it, it eliminates confusion completely. Completely and amazingly. So let's wrap. This video is too long anyway, but I think it's been extremely valuable. I think it's been worthwhile. And I hope that there are criticisms forthcoming of my statements in this video, and I'm, I'm fine with them. I'll warn you that before you criticize what I have said, you should think it over and ensure, at the very least, that you are criticizing what I have actually said and not what you think I was going to say. Because a lot of people over the past few weeks have criticized me for what they assume I believe. You know, I say I believe A, and A came from this person, and they assume, well, that means that you believe everything that that person has ever said, and you believe everything that anyone who's ever associated themselves with that person has ever said, and you believe everything that anyone who's ever believed in anything that that person has ever said has said. And none of those things are true. I believe in that book and certain other elements of things said by a particular person. I don't even believe in the person. He's just a person, right? He's like a speck. <laughs> A, 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 an ephemeral blip in the world. But his book isn't ephemeral. The book helped me make sense of the world. It gave me the ability, to some extent, to put stories into an alignment that 
that becomes useful, that has utility. So b before, before you argue against me, just make sure that you're arguing against what I've said. And I'm, I'm happy, happy to back down from it if I, if I am shown to be incorrect. Or if my assumptions are wrong, I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong. But here's an assumption that I will not stand for being questioned. Being is good. Being is worthwhile. If you argue that against me, I cannot have you around. Bye. Bye. And you might be the person who needs my help the most, but you're going to cause more harm than good. Now, if you can say, I think being is bad, but I'm willing to admit that, there, that I might be wrong, then we can talk, man. We can talk, and I can work to convince you. And you can work to convince me if you want. You can try. But I've got my ducks in a row. I've got my reasons for believing what I do. And I've examined them pretty carefully over the course of a couple of years. And I've, I've based them on a lot of reading. And a lot of, a lot of thoughts of people who are much better thinkers than I am. Great philosophers. Great, great scientists. Great politicians, even. Although that one's almost a, an oxymoron in some ways. And so if you don't come at... If you don't come at these ideas with some of the same respect for the fact that we're talking about the fundamental reality of our existence, then, then I don't know if we're going to be able to communicate. And I'd like to be able to communicate. Just take care before, before you argue something. And I'll, I'll bring up the... I'll end this with a section from the Tao again. If you want to become whole, first let yourself become broken. If you want to become straight, first let yourself become twisted. If you want to become full, first let yourself become empty. If you want to become new, first let yourself become old. Those whose desires are few, gets them. Those whose desires are great, go astray. For this reason, the master embraces the Tao as an example for the world to follow. Because she isn't self-centered, people can see the light in her. Because she does not boast of herself, she becomes a shining example. Because she does not glorify herself, she becomes a person of merit. Because she wants nothing from the world, the world cannot overcome her. When the ancient masters said, if you want to become whole, then first let yourself be broken, they weren't using empty words. All who do this will be made complete. Let yourself be broken. And if you already are, if you're already broken, then take a little bit of solace in knowing that you're already on your way. Thank you for watching. I'll see you tomorrow. Peace. And I mean it.